Everybody, welcome to today's show. It is going to be a fun one. We are talking about the world of synthetic biology and renewable energy. So we're talking about using nature to modify things to help us clean up some of the disasters we've caused, improve medicine, even the health and nutritional content of our food, uh, and you know, global implications of this are, are pretty massive. We'll get into that. We've got a bunch of videos and some images. So it's going to be a fun show and an impactful one. So get your favorite cup of coffee in your comfy chair. And we'll see you right back here in a minute on this week's episode of Quantum Ladder Podcast. Welcome back to Quantum Ladder Podcast. My name is Louis Borges. Joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, Marquise Williams. What's up, Louis? Ready to get this party started? Ready to go. Ready to go. Ready it's to you know it's challenging to find topics that not only we find interesting, but again, we're not making shows for us. We're making shows for the general public. But we always want to find something that's important. Where if somebody is sitting at home going, I don't know about this. Why should I care? Why should I give you an hour and a half of my time? We have that in the back of our minds when we put these together. So. We want to bring up things that are important, that are emerging, uh, definitely things that, you know, you're probably not sitting at home reading medical journals or, you know, LLM coding and that type of thing. But, we, you know, we're trying to, we're a couple of regular dudes. We don't have PhDs, but we do do deep dives in these. Some of these shows take a few weeks of research and uh, we put together what we find uh, online. We filter out the nonsense and you make your own decisions at home. And the importance of kind of, I said this to my wife the other day, um, you know, all the inventions that are sort of hammer and nail are done. Somebody's already done it. Like you're not going to wake up and figure out that you could basically engineer a new blender in your basement that works better. <laughs> Maybe, but even then it would be what only at the, you know, home electronics or home appliance level. Anybody that's doing big work is in the world of physics or, you know, thinking uh, about things that are extremely complicated because let's be honest, most of the easy stuff is done. But, you know, as smart as we think we've got, we've created a hell of a lot of problems. Look at the, the condition of yep. our society, our economy, our planet, even our own health. You know, they say one in uh, two people is going to die of cancer within the next 30 years. You know, not, not that you're going to get it and die within 30 years, but you're likely but, to have a cancer diagnosis of some point in your life. 50% of people. Maybe there's a way we can take what we've learned and use the nature problem in conjunction with the need for new and developing trends. And synthetic biology is basically that. And uh, we'll cover a lot of the things that you can use it for. I know, Marquise, you've done some deep dives as well. What did you think? And this is kind of the first topic like this dealing with, you know, um, 
the environment or you know it's not like a global warming greta thunberg no, episode. Yeah. <laughs> but like what did you think this was a unique episode uh to, to prepare for what do you think about today's well, topic to prepare for today's topic i went to a rally and laid my whole body in front of a line of traffic and i'm, I'm kidding i i would never do you glue your hands to the pavement <laughs> glued them to the pavement man i'm not moving until we get what we want no um all seriousness though there's a couple things that i want to say the first thing i want to respond to some of you said um there in terms of leading cutting edge technologies and in sciences there, there are a lot of topics and you're right there's there's so many things we could talk about and as a geek nerd doofus um i spent i think we both <laughs> spent too much time just like not just lay people learning this stuff we want to know what the experts are talking about um we don't just look at like a youtube video that's really cool that's graphically you know nice we go into like the these long form conversations from Lex Friedman and sometimes sometimes Joe Rogan, but mostly the Friedman show and other podcasts that do intellectual uh, the intellectual deep dives into these topics. And it takes a lot of research to go and listen to them talk about terminologies I've never heard of before. Um, talk about scientists sciences um, and in in technologies I've never heard of before, and then having to learn those and then translate them for you. So to your point, it is it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun because we're already we're already doing this. Uh, for ourselves, we're now doing this for you. But yeah, for for me, this was a this was a fun prep. Um, I, I, for me, it was a fun prep. I think that especially when it comes to the synthetic biology, um, I look into AI. You know that I'm a big AI guy. I like the AI stuff. Um, there's a lot of 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 things going on in, in the AI world. If you're not following ChatGPT, they have these new things called GPTs, which are assistants that you can create and make money. So instead of building a new blender, like you said before, they're now building assistants that can help you do, do pretty much any task you want them to. So the new revolution for an economic boom is in AI and science and, and, and physics. And when it comes to the synthetic biology, well, there's a guy that, that I've been talking about for weeks, Mustafa Suleiman, who talks about synthetic biology being the thing that is going to revolutionize, not just like the direction of our technology, but us, like biologically, us as a human being. One day we might not be fully uh, fully organic. We may be a mix between synthetic and organic biology. So to me, that was like, holy crap! What are what are the what does this mean? Like, what are who's talking about this aside from Michio Kaku and his cool books about you know the physics of the impossible? So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, first thing that comes to mind when you think synthetic biology, I was thinking like robot cells. It's a yeah. synthetically made, but again, for some reason, robotics always comes to mind, but really it's taking things we already have or engineering certain bacteria that can do certain purposes. And I mean, this is already happening even on a, a food level. Like for example, yogurt, yeah. if you wanted to start your own brand of yogurt, you can get a company in Europe or in, I believe the US does it as well. They, and every yogurt tastes different because of the bacterial cultures they're using. They're yeah. similar. Yep. There's literally millions of combinations and even ones that you could change to create new. So the flavor profile will come from a mix of different bacteria that that you know, dairy company has chosen to make their specific flavor of yogurt, right? Some are more tart, yeah. you know what I mean? And you can have a company yeah. make you a, a bacteria that you use for your own yogurt production. So that's already happening, but now we're gonna get into the world of, could that deal with our waste issues? Could we generate biofuels from that sort of thing? Medicines? You know, it's uh, there's a lot more to it. So uh, I put together a couple quick videos, uh, one for this segment and one for the other. And essentially, like you said, we're reading this and listening to long form content, taking yeah. in all the information. We want to make it simple and digestible. So uh, I've made a little intro and I was lucky enough to have well, some before, video. 
Go ahead. Before you, before you, you mentioned about making your own yogurt. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you know me. I gotta say this: if you haven't had a chance to watch it, check out the the TV show. And I just look, I had to check and see what it's called. It's called Love, Death, and Robots. Fantastic. There's an episode called When the Yogurt Took Over, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but <laughs> some scientists create a a, a a yogurt that accidentally becomes sentient. And it's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> billions and billions of cells, right? In a, in yep. a very small amount of space. So in theory, it, there's more life in that cup of yogurt than there is in yep. your entire body, right? Yeah. So as long as we don't show it AI, we should be good. I think I think that's the caveat. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Leave, leave don't put your yogurt on, in front of your computer when you're on AI. No. <laughs> but we'll get into synthetic biology. Here's a little uh, clip to get us started. And uh, we'll get your opinion in a few minutes here, Marquise. Can we use nature to help us eliminate the need for oil and gas? What would such a technology look like? Welcome to the world of synthetic biology. Synthetic biology is a field of science that's changing the world as we know it. It's a multidisciplinary field that focuses on living systems and organisms, and it applies engineering principles to develop new biological parts, devices, and systems, or to redesign existing systems found in nature. But what exactly is synthetic biology? At its core, synthetic biology is about designing and building new biological systems that don't exist in nature. It is about taking the building blocks of life and using them to create new things that can help us solve problems in ways we never thought possible. So how does synthetic biology work? At its most basic level, synthetic biology is about taking the genetic code of an organism and using it to create something new. This can involve creating new proteins, enzymes, or even entire organisms. Imagine a world where we can create new biological systems or redesign existing ones for useful purposes. A world where we can predictably create cells or organisms able to produce a wide variety of novel molecules, materials, or even cells for multiple applications. Synthetic biology is bringing together engineers and biologists to design and build novel biomolecular components, networks, and pathways to use these constructs to rewire and reprogram organisms. For example, synthetic biology is already being used to create new biofuels that are more sustainable and environmentally friendly than traditional fuels. It's also being used to create new materials that are stronger and more durable than anything we've seen before. And it's also being used to create new medicines that can help us fight diseases that we were once thought to be incurable. This cutting-edge technology is at the heart of the so-called bioeconomy, capable of delivering new solutions to global healthcare, agriculture, manufacturing, and environmental challenges. The future potential of synthetic biology to benefit people and the planet is enormous. It has the potential to create useful changes in crops, improved drugs, stronger materials, and more efficient industrial processes. Synthetic biology will change the way we live our lives. It is a technology that's changing the world one cell at a time. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. You know, you got me started with doing these videos, and now I love making them. It takes a hell of a lot yeah. of time, but they uh, they turn out good. Just so you guys know, I am the voice actor here. Yet this guy, <laughs> we're coming busting out new voice acting content every week. That's all. That was a great video. Um, I will say your enunciation's perfect. You've got great pacing. You know how to line up the video with the like the image in the background, the video in the background with your with your the script. 
you're doing a freaking fantastic job for somebody who literally just started doing this stuff what like to a month or two ago yeah i never um, made these so type of videos a couple months ago and the hardest thing is the script because you have it's actually quite a bit of stuff that goes into like a two yep. and a half or even three minute long video yeah, take yeah, you four I or know. five hours i know and to get a script that is coherent that actually says something right somebody's gonna watch it and go i still have no idea what the hell they're talking about that doesn't do us any good so and this one was particularly difficult because it's like most of these technologies, they're emerging. There isn't specific footage I can show you of like, hey, look, they're, they're doing it right here. Yeah. But the implications yeah. are massive. And, uh, you know, so I guess the, the best thing to explain what is synthetic biology to what can it do? Essentially, you're taking microorganisms and, it, you know, they harness them for bioremediation. So you could cl um, clean pollutants from water, soil and air. You could modify rice to now produce beta carotene, which is vitamin A. I mean, vitamin A deficiency is one of the uh, the biggest issues with malnutrition around the world. There's literally mm -hmm. millions yeah. of people yeah. that eat rice who are also vitamin A deficient. You could change that with something simple. Uh, but again, like anything, you know, there's ethical implications. And some people say, well, this is just like gene editing. Well, kind of. I mean, gene editing is done to give a trait uh, something beneficial. You're, you're changing the sort of genome it could be hair color eyes could also be replacing a therapy that's deficient this is more like you're, you're you're modifying creation with the intent to improve medicine or reduce pollution or or make clean energies so it isn't necessarily like enhancing humankind or you know creating new bugs that you don't know what's going to happen all they're yeah. doing is saying hey could we use biology like bacteria to create environmentally safe things like i mean our oil dependence is massive we know this right, right. plastics is a big problem even if people all yep. switch to electric cars which we'll talk about in the second half it is not the solution yeah, yeah. either <laughs> it's not we'll it's get just... to that because as somebody <laughs> who spent 22 years in the automotive business i will give you honest and stern advice about electric vehicles but um essentially you know we want to cover what the implications are what this could be used so i have some slides here um, just to kind of make more sense of how we're seeing synthetic biology in a day-to-day -day impact. So we, we've heard of this um, impossible meat or beyond meat. Have you heard yeah. of this stuff? Yeah, 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 it's yeah. It's supposed to be vegan-based plant food that tastes and looks like meat. And yeah. most of them don't. Most of them are disgusting. Uh, <laughs> but there are a few that are bang on, and they figured out what makes a burger taste like a burger. So here's an example. This is... Um, soy protein, a bunch of other vegan-based stuff, pea, pea powders and stuff like that. It's not blood. It is called heme. And in fact, even when you have a steak, the, it's not blood that's coming out of the steak. It's this product called heme. And they can synthetically modify that in a vegan level so that you literally can have a rare burger. It will taste like a rare burger, but there is no meat inside of that. And I still don't know how I feel about that. What are your thoughts on impossible I, meats? I would. OK, so for me, listen, man, it's it, this is a tough one, because I think that when it comes to our, our food manufacturing, they've already genetically modified most of our food anyway. Yeah. And the food that they haven't genetically modified, they've added chemicals that can give us all kinds of ailments that, that already. So for me, if they're going to do it and they're, if they're going to do it at all, at least they're doing it for what I think would be a better, a healthier way and healthier options. Um, and I, I used to be vegan for a time, uh, but it was very difficult to find foods that I could that I could eat that I enjoyed. It got to the point where eating was was less uh, satisfying and, and eventually I didn't even want to eat. Um, and so I had to change back to a regular diet, which, by the way, wasn't great. 
So if I could have a, a broader option of food that would be vegan based, uh, similar to, the, to these uh, these foods, I would absolutely jump on that train. I think that it would be a healthier option for somebody like myself. You made a good point there. It's either they modify the organism to be more pest resistant and less susceptible to changing climate or too much water or not enough water. You either right. modify the corn to be able to handle it or you keep it organic and then it needs all these additional things Chemicals. like sprays yeah. or whatever. And even like I live close to sort of an agricultural community and I've talked to people that are organic farmers and they laugh. They're like, it's a joke. It's certain things that you do to your farm to be organic certified. You're not spraying your crops, but the guy in the field next door is, and you don't think there's such a thing as wind and they don't share the yeah. same water table. Yeah. It's a joke. The only way you're going to have clean food is to eliminate sprays hands down. And there are some genetic and bio-friendly sprays and things that can be yeah. used introducing like a or uh, you know like ladybugs to kill aphids so you don't have to spray you're using kind of nature against nature right but it, you know i think that can get out of hand too if you, if you do that wrong you know like we're still playing god a little bit no a lot of it you know that's actually this is a really interesting uh implication here for me so there monsanto had a big issue you know back in the the 90s and stuff like that where they were there were farmers were being you know, to demolish their businesses were being demolished by Monsanto because their seeds were blowing into the farmers like their their land into their crops. And those seeds will be property of Monsanto. So Monsanto would claim, hey, now this is our property because our yeah. seeds are on there and they were suicide seeds as well. So when they were when they first were sprouted, they died. They wouldn't they would no longer produce any more seeds. Um, it was a very predatory and, 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 and honestly sick thing that Monsanto did. Monsanto, please don't come after me and my family. But um, but they did that through through these, you know, editing the genes of these plants as well. There are there are ethical implications that could be for the bad. But when I think about anything that could change or revolutionize society in any way, I think that there are good ways to use it and there are bad ways to use it. Honestly, it's up to us to to kind of push for what we want for these technologies and these scientists to be used for instead of them being imposed on us and them just happening or or or, or somehow you know, just resisting these kinds of technologies and sciences. I think we need to push for more openness about what's being done with them um, in the labs, the data being presented in a, in a user-friendly way that we can understand instead of it being hidden behind some kind of a scientific paper that nobody understands. Yeah, like in theory, it's a good thing, right? They're going to engineer a crop that produces more, uh, you know, bigger yields. Farmers can be more sustainable now and better nutritional right. value. But essentially, the DNA is traceable to Monsanto, the only reason right. Roundup works is because those organisms have been modified not to react to it. So you could spray an entire field of corn with Roundup. It will kill everything except the corn because the corn has been modified. So that's, you know, it's a good and a bad thing at the same time. Right. But to your point, yeah. if we don't moderate or keep track of these companies and what they're actually doing, it can go all bad. I mean, what if all native species of food die out? And now if you want to eat, you got to buy your seeds you from Monsanto. Yeah. And you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. monopoly on nature is never a good idea. And Big pharma yeah. does it. And the agricultural world is trying to find their own ways around it. But it's it's not the big, bad, scary monster, the idea of GMO. And other companies right. are marketing the hell out of non-GMO and this and that. Right. It's not the GMO. It's the issue. It's everything else that goes with it. The politics, the Our other system. farmers can't keep yeah. up. You know, maybe yeah. the, the Roundup kills their crops because they're not GMO. Whereas, right. you know, so again, or, there's a lot of games being played, monopolies and stuff like that. And 
when you're dealing with food supply, that that's a big issue, right? Yeah. On a final note, for my to my point on this, I don't I don't want to take too much of your time here, but the, the, I think that you'll hear there's a repeated theme that you will hear, especially from me, but from us. I think from us both, we understand that the systems that we live under today are the reasons why we have the issues we have, not the sciences. So when you're when you're thinking about these issues, I would I really hope that people, if you're listening to us now, um, don't think that the science is the problem. The system that perpetuates these issues, the misuse of these sciences, is the problem. Um, yeah. That's that's how I, that's kind of what I really want to. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got water H2O, and you got hydrogen peroxide H2O2. You know, don't get mad at the scientists if you drink a bottle of peroxide and it eats your insides, you know, like nature and science is what it is. Yeah. You have to have common sense and a healthy respect for it to use it for what it's made for. You know, yeah, it'd be like it'd be like if somebody was like, yeah, I'm starting a company where we make, you know, hydrogen peroxide. And we instead of instead of putting it on cuts and, and things like that, we you drink it. You like, yeah. hey, that science behind peroxide is evil. no. The company using it for you to drink is evil. You that's probably right. shouldn't drink. That. That's exactly. That's kind of that's how I feel about all this stuff. And at a time where we need science's help more than ever, we need to have a healthy respect for science. Keep those yeah. people strict to the scientific method. But that's where, like I said, all the hammer and nail inventions are done. There's nothing easy that we're just going to think up in a dream or in our basements anymore, right? We need to get creative. We have major waste issues and all the rest. And maybe yeah. too much has already been done. The damage has been done. We don't know, but if we put our heads together and, you know, we, we like to have a positive outlook on things, it could be Honestly. all doom and gloom, but it doesn't have to be. If we straighten be. up, we can actually, you know, improve and use what we've learned. And we talk about food. Another way is uh, with fertilizer. So this is a company that's called Prove N Fertilizer. People think, what's the big deal? Well, essentially what this does is uh, it replaces 40 pounds per acre of synthetic fertilizer. So you use less of it. So it's going to save you money. It, um, the microbes that are in this fertilizer um, have sort of a better nitrogen production. So it's a better source. It's more easily absorbed. And then obviously the end result being healthier crops, more nutritional value, faster and larger yields. So it delivers 11% more nitrogen uh, and 10% more biomass. So you're going to get a 10% mm -hmm. bigger yield, more nitrogen uptake, which also helps preserve the soil in subsequent You'll see in some farms, they'll grow corn one year. The next year, it's just hay. Because if you keep growing corn out of that same plot of land, you're going to wind up with sand. All the organic nutrients get leached out. You get erosion. It's a big problem. So they rotate their crops. This essentially replenishes the soil, gives you a bigger yield. Now you don't need twice as much acreage to grow that same amount of, of crops. So I think that's a positive if, you know. But again, what if those organisms do something bad that we don't know about yet, right? This is still... Well, what do you think that on, makes, the, on the whole? That, that makes me think of two things, man. And and this is a great, this is awesome, by the way. I love, I love this. Uh, I love what you've done with these, uh, these slides. So the thing that I think about when it, when it is like vertical farms, first of all, why are, why don't we use vertical farms more universally? You know, like the idea that we're we're depending on the ever changing climate, um, and the ever changing weather itself in areas that sometimes are you you, you mentioned about plot of plots of land that cannot be, um, you know. Uh, they cannot have crops built because it'll, it'll drain the nutrients out of the out of the soil. Well, why not just create vertical farms literally everywhere? Plant any kind of food that you could possibly want. Make it more of a localized uh, a farming a farming situation. You could you could of course we'd employ a lot more people because people could work in these vertical farms within a certain area or region. 
um, in order to provide food sustenance for people in those regions. So it would just it just doesn't make sense to me that we're we're, we're relying on traditional farming when we can clearly outdo. I mean, with the technology we have today and the science we understand, we can outdo all that. We don't. There, the idea that there's droughts is it's it just seems really weird to me um, that there's ever even a thing such as drought today, given what technologies we have. But we'll talk about that some other time. And the other thing that I think about is, you know, this idea about about increasing the production of a, of a food source. If you're able to do that, then you could essentially provide for, if you're yielding more or producing more of any of these foods or food sources, you could provide food for a lot more people without ha with while simultaneously reducing the cost. Which again, these are the kind of things that you think about when you think about how society is moving to a future where hopefully um, these 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 things are being used versus only being you know hyper marginalized and not even talked about. I mean, again, you talk about the information that's out there. Synthetic biology is not a very a very rich content uh, heavy heavy topic. Google it. See if you can find something. Yeah. Hit up YouTube. We Good learned luck. the hard way. It's like, what? Where is it? Where do you, you have to really, really dig. And most of it, I mean, I got a lot of information from the books and a lot in these intellectual podcasts. So I think that it's great that we're having this conversation with you guys, because again, I don't, I wouldn't have even known about some of this stuff without having, um, having done this, this research. Yeah. And it's one thing to say we want to improve our current state. <clears throat> we want to get like better yields and, you know, more healthy stuff. But what about the waste that we create? Yeah. Pollution, <clears throat> plastics. Right. That's the biggest issue with the oil and gas industry. It's not so much cars burning gasoline. It's the petrochemical business, which unfortunately is in everything. Even if you get rid of gasoline powered cars, we cannot live currently without oil. And a lot of that produces waste that can't be recycled or only partially recycled. And, you know, a lot of people recycle everything. They feel like they're helping the environment. Most of the stuff that you recycle actually gets thrown in the trash at the recycling place. There's no. only so certain types of PET, plastic, polyethylene that can be reused. Not everything that you throw in there. Like, for example, if you get a juice box, a little Tetra pack, that's recyclable. But the plastic cellophane wrapper on the straw is not. So, you know, it's not all recyclable. And that's a, I have a couple slides coming up here on can we replace plastics with biodegradable sources? That doesn't cool. mean getting a paper straw at Starbucks, you know, it, which, by the way, I just want to put this out there. I, you know, I respect any company that's going away from plastic straws. You know, you see right. them stuck in the noses of turtles and things like that. But if you're yeah. going to make me drink out of a, of a paper straw, why are you still giving me my coffee in a plastic cup? So I got to use a paper Kinda, straw, yeah. but you're giving me my, my ice latte in a plastic cup. Come on. Like there's <laughs> ways around that. You can use like cellulose fiber, which comes from corn. You can make synthetic plastics and there's even sugars that can be turned I mean, into hemp that. Is, yeah. Hemp is a really uh, abundant um, uh, material yeah. you can use for like so many different things. You can make a lot of things with hemp, but you know, there's a lot of interesting laws against using hemp for different products, especially yeah. in the U.S. So. Fair enough. And as we mentioned plastics, here's something called hyaline film. So basically this can be used in screens, electronics. This is a naturally, I believe it, it involves that same cellulose production that plants can make. Um, but basically it's being used in the world of electronics, right? Flexible circuits, printable electronics, display touch sensors. So you don't necessarily need, you know, the gold, you don't need the, the elements, the silica to make microchips to produce a screen where it is literally engineered in, in a biological way, right? And that's very cool moving forward. 
we are tech heavy. We both have the same phone now. And <laughs> same <so> phone. <laughs> if this was made out of cellulose fiber, it would be recyclable at some point. But none yeah. of this is recyclable in its current state. No, no. Yeah, recyclable, you could use it yes, you could sell it. There is a secondhand phone market. So that's repurposing or, you know, that's it, a whole other um, sort of uh, private market of just trading. Yeah. It's like used cars, but you're not recycling it. It's still not dealing with what happens in the end. And that's where no. our big issue is. Yeah, you said you said something earlier about about um, oh man, I gotta I, I don't want to misquote you now because it just we just went over a couple things. Hold, let me let me think about how uh, man, what, what did you say? Oh my gosh, first brain fart of the day. Um, it, uh, uh, man, it had to do with it had to do with the uh, I can't think of it now. I'm 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 gonna have to take this brain Was fart. The uh, the circuits, the uh, the gold and the microchips and all that stuff, silica. So yeah, so Nvidia. Thank you for that. For, for what it, Nvidia is building new technologies that can help with essentially the simulations that we talked about a couple episodes ago, quantum computing, where they can literally simulate any kind of uh, well, the, solar flares, you know, right. um, uh, tidal waves, uh, weather predictions for a hundred years, any kind of thing that you can imagine in terms of creating new technologies. For example, like this this piece of technology you're talking about now, these these developed. Um, they can simulate it before they have to create it and they can, they can uh, simulate any kind of alternative energies that they want to, or any kind of alternative, uh, production, uh, uh methods that they want to. And I think that when you mentioned earlier, that's it. You mentioned earlier about the, the end of building a new blender. The future is not building a new blender. The future is essentially creating ideas that the, that AI can, can make them reality for you. Right. You can literally ask it to create a material that that's sustainable, that's renewable, that doesn't have any kind of environmental impact, and it can do it instantly. And it can and tell you it, which ones will fail to not waste your time and resources on because yeah. they run yeah. all the. Yeah, they simulate good. it. It's a, yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. So and so we've been talking about electronics. We did fertilizer. Let's talk about medicine. So there is this product called Kimraya. So Kimraya. they basically this is human T cells. This is for people that have blood cancer or any other thing where T-cell um, um, sort of introducing new T-cells into your body would help. Yeah, so think so Resident Evil, right? What's that? Think Resident Evil, the T-virus. Exactly. So <laughs> and we covered this a little bit in gene editing and things like that, more so in a way of a, of a gene therapy to replace missing genes. But essentially, this um, people that have a, a T-cell, they either need to get it from a donor or they don't get it at all because right now gene editing is not legal so you cannot, you know, modify other cells to make them T cells as of current. But in this mm -hmm. process, they will collect some of your own blood, take whatever T cells you have out. This Kimraya, um, using synthetic biology, will increase the T cell count. I don't know if it's just a healthy solution that these things like to grow in or what, but it will make more T cells because obviously if you're T cell deficient, you don't have enough. So simply taking it from oh, a donor isn't going to yeah. do anything because you're, you're deficient. So they use this product to increase your T-cell. And then um, once they kind of get reprogrammed to target cancer, they, uh, they, they put a chimeric antigen receptor. Basically, it means they're targeting where this, these T-cells need to go. They're telling it that this is for blood cancer. These are the cells you want to seek out. And then in the end, um, they're injected back into that donor as now a boosted thing. So there's no genetic issue because they are your own T-cells. There's no rejection or things like that. But essentially, using synthetic biology to increase the count of something or the potency yeah. of something 
is yeah. leading to, and again, because gene editing is not legal uh, ethically in North America, science isn't stopping. They're saying, okay, well, is there a way we can kind of go around that, still remain legal, but still give people the help that we know these therapies and eventually it will be legal because we won't have a choice. There will be so many diseases we will have to use it. But it's good to see these guys thinking outside the box, guys and gals, I should say, thinking outside yeah. the box and not letting a wall say, oh, well, no more gene research because, uh, you know, we can't modify them. Well, what if we could amplify them instead? You know, there's there's other applications for that. Um, yeah. Your thoughts on the whole medicine yeah, and uh, gene editing? I, there's something else I wanted to mention, and I, I had to type this in so I didn't forget it. So what, what would be the implications or the potential manifestations of variations through through generations right so if 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 you pass that down let's say they give you some kind of gene editing whatever it may be whether whether it be this t cells or whether it be um any kind of gene editing for even even in crops what happens several generations down the line you know what happens and i worry i wonder i think that the the fear and the in the in the hesitation to, to put this into a more broader application for the society or, or that, that we don't know what the implications are 10 generations from today. You know, what happens when your great grandkids have, you know, come out and they, there's a genetic anomaly. I mean, evolution, for example, they believe had genetic anomalies that were unexpected. But when you're toying around with <laughs> you're toying around with the genetics of people intentionally, who knows what anomalies might might sprout out of nowhere, um, yeah. like like changing viruses through passing from one person to the next. The big thing is there's genetic modifying that doesn't affect what they call the germline. The germline is what gets passed on every subsequent yep. generation. So the germline is where the issue is, because if you get it wrong, now it's out there. But again, mm -hmm. CRISPR being literally just instructions that are implanted into an organism, it can also be programmed to stop after so many copies as well, or it could be like a car with a stuck gas pedal that it goes crazy. But in the world of plants, we can engineer many generations faster than they would exist right, in natural right. nature right with cloning yep. and you can literally yep. have one plant you could have 50 generations and it wouldn't take 50 lifetimes to do it so we can kind of map out hey what would this look like in 10 20 30 50 generations to eliminate some of that risk but i know any uh, experiments that they've done you know like with like rats on nantucket island you Fruit know flies. genetically modifying them they're doing them in small areas where if it does go wrong it doesn't have global implications you got to start somewhere you got to test the waters so a there's a lot you can do in a lab before you even start like playing with it in real nature and i think right now there is a healthy concern that we don't want to mess with something we don't know i don't see it being you know, kind of haphazardly, not in North America anyway, other parts of the world, who knows? They're probably kind of, yeah. They're, they're like doing stuff in, in Russia and Asia. That's like out of movies. And we probably, probably have like horsemen running around freaking Centauro and, you know, Chimera, you know, flying around, flying freaking dog birds or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. All that becomes possible with gene editing. Right. And again, this is more synthetic biology, not because gene editing is very specific in its purpose. This is, can we modify other organisms just like the yogurt? Can we make a better tasting yogurt by using these bacterial cells instead of these bacterial cells? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another one that I thought was super cool. So these are soybean plants. Now, when you go to the grocery store and you look at oils, we all know that there's good oils and bad oils. you got vegetable oil, canola oil, olive oil, yeah, avocado. Saturated, saturated fats yeah. yeah, and it's the, the difference between what makes it a good or a not so good is the saturated fats, the trans fats. So mm. I've never seen soybean oil on the shelf, and I don't even think they sell it. 
Reason being, soybean oil is very high in omega-3 and omega-6, but it's also extremely high in trans fats. Up to a quarter of it is like straight cholesterol. So what they can do with this, this company is called uh, Kalino, and they basically can create what's called a high oleic soybean oil. So, you know, oils like uh, olive oil, avocado oil, very healthy. They are high. They are considered oleic, uh, oleic oils. So if you could somehow modify that soybean where it's no longer producing the cholesterol-based oils, but the healthy good fats, now you have the best of both worlds. You have something that's cheap and easy to grow. It's abundant. The byproduct of the oil, the, the pulp can still be used for other things as well. And, you know, you would effectively be able to have a healthy oil out of what is currently a non-healthy oil. So it's not always like the world is going to end if we put this out there, but it does involve modifying because the existing product does not do that. So this is all about modifying. Yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned about it. There are sometimes I, I do pull like ketchup or some kind of product where it says this, there's a, this has been genetically modified. And I wonder what that really means, like what that means, because if it's, if it is illegal in the U S and they, they're still doing it. Um, well, or, or is there again, some kind GMO, of GMO Monsanto is GMO since the eighties, we have been genetically modifying. The yeah. issue is using CRISPR to genetically enhance. So now I can have a baby that's faster, stronger, smarter than yours. And your kid may be unable to compete against mine in 30 years time, but mine was synthetically enhanced. Yours was not. Is that fair? That's where the ethical implications come in, in the world of people. Once it goes into people, we start asking these big questions, yeah. but we yeah. should have been asking them all the way along because it's already happened in the food world for almost 40 years. Yeah, but I will say, I will say in, in defense of, 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 you know, fixing world hunger, there are some really big benefits and implications to helping out poor, poor nations, third world countries, um, people that are starving. They, I would prefer that they had something then die from nothing. Like there's a lot of, I mean, the, the poverty rate for children in the world is sickening. It's really, it's depressing. It's not right. I think that at the very least, if they're using it in other countries, they should be using it. We shouldn't have world hunger. I, there shouldn't be. Um, even at the risk of, of, of not knowing what the potential is. I'm not saying like, let's just test it out on poor people. What I am saying though, is that if there is something that we think is safe based off of data that suggests that it is, and that it could be given that we can simulate generations of, of, of these organisms being produced in, in a short time, then I think we should apply that to, to nations that need it um, versus keeping it from nations entirely, but using it for the benefit of certain corporations in certain situations, because somebody's already benefiting from this and it ain't most of us. Um, and again, should... it's, it's one thing if you're modifying something to take out another species or to have major implications, but in the video we mentioned, or I think it was just after we talked about uh, rice, and how it doesn't naturally have vitamin A. Right. Most right. of the starving countries in the world do have access to rice. That is the staple. So just adding beta carotene to a grass seed can, you know, deal with mineral yeah. deficiency, right? So it's I don't think that is unethical. If as long as no. the people know and there is a benefit, and we know that that is the extent of the modification, that that's all that's been changed. It's not going to go bad. I mean, there's always inherent risk, but there's inherent risk with everything. You know, you yep. get vaccinated, there could be a risk with that. You go for a procedure, even if it's a normal mundane, whatever, you know, my father gets his pacemaker battery changed every 10 years. They still got to make him sign the paper. Be like, just so you know, like <laughs> if you die, you, die, oh, you know, we yeah, have yeah. shut pop yeah. your heart. We might not get it started again. Like, so there is nothing without some inherent risk, but it's the risk reward calculation. Right. And, you know, there's a way to do it without, you know, 
destroying the planet. Again, it might just be something in terms of enhancing the mineral content or the nutritional value of something, you know, and if that alone helps towards the world hunger issue, then I think we should look at it, you know? I think so too. I think so too. So I want to talk about now something a little uh, deeper uh, in terms of um, its scope, rubber and plastics. So as we know right now, these are, um, rubber is a natural product, but it's mixed with petrochemicals, vulcanized and turned into car tires. The waste from car tires is significant. You know, drive through any small town in America and you've got more used car tires and you know what to do with. And it's a problem. It's not going away. You can't burn them. I know companies have turned them into like little pellets and then melted them into like picnic benches and stuff like that. But the yeah. recycling limitations of rubber are, are, are challenging. There's only so much you can do. Plus, there's many things in a rubber tire. There's steel cables, there's nylons, there's a bunch of stuff. So they're using synthetic biology to create uh, naturally um, sort of replicating rubber. So isoprene is something that comes out of the petrochemical world. It's used in making rubber. But there's a way that they can use an enzyme to naturally synthesize this isoprene. So now you don't need oil to make rubber. You can use something that is biodegradable in its in, in its essence. Therefore, the end right. product is biodegradable as well. So you don't a we could use less oil and you know burn less and produce less CO two, but it deals with that waste issue as well. It's a double headed sword now. You're not just making something that's better and more friendly to engineer and produce. You're dealing right. with the issue of in five years when these tires are scrap, what happens to them then? And I, I like that that's double. Have you seen things like this in your research where they have a multi purpose? That yeah, so from what I from what I remember, at least especially on TikTok, TikTok was actually a pretty good resource for looking at uh, different like how they can turn a certain thing like, for example, algae algae um, into into a multi-purpose tool for yeah. uh, for climate change or for things that are affecting like when you have an oil spill in the ocean, they can help clean up the ocean with by just altering the genes of certain things to be able to consume the oil and then biodegrade. Um, there's a there's a lot of different uh, different applications for changing changing certain things to make them have multiple applications. I, I think that the problem that I see, at least with this, is getting it in, in into the in front of people's eyes, the public's eyes, so they can push for certain things like that to be done. Right now, I know that it's a it's a growing topic. By the way, th this is this isn't something that's new. It's not something that's new. You talk. This has been going on for decades. However, the, and I mentioned this earlier. Usually the big corporations are using it for their own profit. They're not using it for things like we're talking about, like biodegrading oil spills um, or anything like or sucking up like eating plastics, using using certain different organisms to eat plastics. I think they, they they genetically modified. I can't remember what what it was. They genetically modified a bug or something like that to eat plastic in the ocean. And it would have it would they would just die and they wouldn't there would be no uh, there would be no um, environmental implications at all. Yet they're not using it on a broad scale because of regulations. Now, yeah. the funny thing to me is that regulations are affecting our ability to help the environment um, negatively, but they're not being used to stop things from happening negatively, negatively to the environment. That's, I just don't, I don't quite understand the backwards nature of our, of our, of our society. Sometimes I don't get well, it. Do you think that the oil and gas companies want any of this to get out there that within your own ability, within a lab that you could house in something the size of your garage, you no longer need Exxon Mobil like that is a tough pill to swallow oh, yeah. for a trillion dollar business. You know, well, like, when we get into the alternative energy and yeah, when we get into the alternative energy side, we'll talk about that's some really, yeah. there's some really interesting topics to bring up there. But when it comes to synthetic biology, um, I have a feeling and I heard someone say this during in a podcast that they're like, you know, one day we'll be able to do things like 
and this is ridiculous, but there are people who will do it. Um, if you want to be bioluminescent, <laughs> you can have a bioluminescent like fingernails where yeah. your fingernails will just grow and, and they'll just be the only thing that will they'll glow. They'll glow. Um, yeah. Or if you want to have like, I don't know, you want to be able to conduct electricity somehow like an eel. You'd literally be able to do that by genetically modifying. I don't know why people would do this, but the implication was that way into the way into the future, you'll be able to literally have any kind of genetic trait from any other organism you want to. We will essentially be chimera. Um, we will be will. the octopus of the future. The octopi. <laughs> but good point there. And we mentioned that in our um, CRISPR gene editing episode, guys, biohacking, stuff like that. The people that are doing yeah. these gene edits, they use bioluminescence to prove that it actually works. So if you're into that yeah. kind of thing, Go through our uh, video library here and check out uh, CRISPR gene editing because uh, it, it was interesting. But before we go to our break, I, you mentioned algae, and I've got a cool video clip here on an algae tree. Now, it's not a real tree. It's a machine. But essentially, it's using algae to do the same thing that a tree would. So take a look. Trees turn pollution into oxygen. They run on solar energy paired with algae microorganisms that catch gases and particles from polluted air. The pollution acts as a food source and the more that's eaten, the more the microalgae grows and photosynthesizes CO2 into fresh oxygen. One algae purifier is equivalent to 368 eucalyptus trees filtering air, which makes this invention a quick solution for areas deprived of greenery or even inside living spaces. The process generates a byproduct of microalgae waste that can produce biofuels in biofertilizers. Replanting decimated forest land takes time. So what do you think about helping nature a little with these artificial lungs? Oh man. Um that reminds me of Neri Ox Neri Oxman. Remember yeah. we, I want to really desperately want to get that get um her on to the show sometime. Um she genetic she uses like silkworms to create structures. Instead of people instead of using certain material that we that we extract from the from the earth or we dig up or whatever. Um, she uses natural processes like silkworms and it's it, like organic material to create structures. Now, when you couple that kind of idea with synthetic biology and, and not just with the application of extracting the, you know, CO2 from the air, but also in terms of building or creating, uh, structures that are organic instead of, and, and that don't have any kind of environmental impact versus building, like cutting down trees and building houses with them, we can create something that grows our homes can grow, our clothes can grow, our everything that we use can be grown instead of instead of made in a factory somewhere. That, but that sounds that sounds like a really interesting future to me. I mean, again, you can imagine, right, going to the store and be like, I like this clothes, and then they're like, okay, it'll be ready in a week, and they'll just grow it. It doesn't have cost because all it's all the only cost is it, it is 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 the you know the facility that it grows in, but essentially it's just growing. It's growing material instead of using it. Yeah, at a molecular level, the difference between nylon and cellulose, which is natural product, it's not that much different. We're basically, we just need fibers. Could be cotton, yeah. could be hemp, like you mentioned earlier, yeah. anything. It's just that it's always been cheap and easy to produce. That's why they've gone the petrochemical way, right? We've enabled yeah. it to go that way. Everybody wants, nobody wants to spend 80 bucks on a t-shirt. Well, some people spend $400 on a t-shirt, mm, no. you know, but now we have an issue of like this disposable clothing world. The clothes don't biodegrade and we'll deal with this at a future episode. But if you want to talk about forever chemicals, things like BPAs and stuff like that, biphenol yeah. alkaloids or something like that, they, they basically get into your body and never, ever get out. You cannot purge them. They're like the lead of the plastic world. Yeah. We're getting those fibers. 
And those things break down into fibers that are smaller than a human hair. We know there's plastic in the ocean and it breaks down into little tiny pellets. What about things you can only see under a microscope? They're still there. They still get eaten by plankton. We inhale these fibers, like mm. the implications of that. And even like in your carpet, just walking back and forth, those fibers get in the air, yep. you breathe them. They don't come out of your, your body after. So there's a lot more to it than, you know, just oil and gas. It's the reasons we've used oil and gas and the, the reasons that it was a benefit to those companies need to change. We need to change our priorities to say that this is no longer acceptable because of what's going to happen. I mean, we already see the, the effect of that. And, uh, you know, we need to use this stuff yeah. moving forward. And, and otherwise, it's just talk. Yeah, we're going to save the planet. Well, it starts with <laughs> really thinking outside the box, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and, and on a final note before I break here, I want to say we're not, again, we're not Greta Thornburg. I, I know that we are like sitting here advocating for science and technologies that could help revolutionize the civilization as we know it. But I feel like that's more like being a futurist versus a, a an environmentalist. We just want to, I just want to live in a future where, where things are, cool man like i want to live in a future where michio kaku talks about in his physics of the his physics of the impossible i want to live in a future where you know we have a type one civilization and i mentioned this before where we're using the all the resources of the planet instead of lousing them up we're using the natural process of, the, of our planet to to be more symbiotic and have a more symbiotic relationship with our planet that's what i just feel like you know we, we have all these illnesses and sicknesses and ailments cancers and tumors and all these things that are that are that are a, an aberrant an aberration of of the way that we've structured society to be, yet we're fighting against progress scientifically and, and, and technologically. We got. I hope that what we're doing is we're giving a, a better a, a better idea about how these technologies can be used, and how we should view these things so that people can be more advocates for for a better future, a cooler one. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't begrudge anybody making money. If you if you think that these industries are just going to disappear or they're going to get into a new area of, of technology without some kind of benefit, it's not going to happen. So I don't begrudge some company making $30 billion profit, but no, you can make $29.5 billion and yeah. make sure you're not screwing the planet for our kids and their kids. You know, like there is profit and there is greed. And when you get greedy, that's when you start throwing caution to the wind. That's when you have like plastics factories in the States, literally pouring toxic waste into the water supply. And the residents had no choice on these companies getting these tax breaks. And we're going to build a, you know, a $5 billion plastic factory in the middle of nowhere. It's not their fault. So I don't begrudge companies making money. If there isn't a profit to be had, no one's going to spend the money to develop these technologies that we need for our everyday lives. So, but there needs to be a focus on what is fair and reasonable profit and what are you allowed to do in your wake? Are you allowed to just come mm -hmm. in and destroy a bunch of stuff and then just walk away unscathed? Then I think there's a lot, I don't want to say corruption, but there's a lot in the way of favors and big companies that get things overlooked. I mean, for a while in Canada, I don't even know if you still can, but they came out with this, like these carbon credits where you could mm -hmm. only, you can only <laughs> produce so much waste, but if you were going over your limit, you could just buy more carbon credits from another company that wasn't using their full what? allocation. Like that's not going to work. That's just enabling them to keep doing what they're doing. It's cheaper to buy the credits than retool the yeah. factory. That doesn't work moving forward. You know, it so. sounds like the, I sound like we're going towards an idiocracy. If it, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So we'll take our uh, halfway break, our five minute break here and uh, uh, we'll see everybody back. Refill those coffees. We'll see you guys back yeah. here in five. We're going to get into the world of renewable energies. So stick with us.
And we are back with the second half of Quantum Ladder Podcast. Uh, good chatting with you again, as always, Marquise. Love doing these shows with you, buddy. It's been interesting. Yeah, it's, it's always fun. I always have like so many things to talk about, and I, I feel like I never have enough time to talk about them, especially when I can only talk about them with you here. <laughs> so it's That's like, right. That's right. Cram it we all just have to do hours. more shows, and everybody seems to be enjoying them. And again, thank you, everybody, for your support. Shouts out to Scott Rosen, our newest Quantum Club member. And yeah, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, we record another episode at the end of these that's available through our Patreon channel. The link's in our description, but as little as five bucks a month, you can support our show. We're not running any commercials right now. Hopefully, you guys notice that. We're not monetizing, but uh, it is expensive to do this at a somewhat high level. This is expensive. This is expensive. Yeah. Your stuff's yeah. expensive. Yeah. It, it all adds up. So thank you for your support and shouts out to everybody who is uh, helping and contributing along the way. So let's get into the world of renewable energy. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I had uh, some time, some studio time this week, Marquise. So I've taken yeah, your you expertise <laughs> and uh, made a little video here. This is only a minute and a half on uh, renewable energy. And then we've got for the balance of this show, one, two, three, four, five, about seven videos to break down renewable energies what's happening. And this is where it gets exciting because these are all realistic options. They're currently happening and they could make a big difference. So, but if you're not familiar with renewable energies, take a look. Welcome to a future where energy isn't just a commodity, but a force that harmonizes with the world around us. We're exploring the cutting edge realm of renewable energies, a tangible force reshaping the way we power our lives. When most people think of renewable energy, they usually think of the giants of the energy sector wind turbines, and solar panels. These technologies aren't just about being green, they're about reshaping the entire energy grid. Imagine cities lit up not just by lights, but by the promise of a sustainable future instead. Renewable energy is a multifaceted solution. The field of bioenergy now takes a spotlight, turning organic waste into power. Biomass and biofuels are transforming what we once considered garbage into valuable energy resources. Scientists are tinkering at the molecular level, engineering microorganisms to produce biofuels efficiently. It's not science fiction, it's science in action, driving a biological revolution and our quest for cleaner energy. In labs across the globe, researchers are decoding the secrets of synthetic biology, creating living factories that could redefine how we produce and consume energy. This is about adapting the very building blocks of life for a sustainable future. Countries around the world are recognizing the potential of renewable sources to meet their energy needs. We hope to power our technological world without further damaging our environment. The world of renewable energy is not only a necessity, but a challenge we actually have the ability to tackle. It's not just cool science, it's the future of our sustainability that's on the line. I think the coolest thing for me dealing with uh, sort of synthetic biology is some of these inventions have the ability not only to do a, a process yeah. or solve a problem, but the byproduct can be usable as well, like that algae tree. So it's going to clean pollutants out of the air, remove CO2, produce oxygen, and then the byproduct waste from that algae doing its cell reproduction, the dead, decaying bacteria, yeah. can be yeah. used for biofuel. Like that's as good as it gets, really. You're not producing right. a waste. You're using it and then saying, hey, we can still use this again. And the benefits go from there. And uh, one of yep. those uh, things in the clip you saw would look like little gray logs popping out. That's what they call biomass engineering. Essentially, that's garbage, which we have a huge problem with, using garbage and processing it to create fuel that is not oil and gas. And yeah. This, this is basically how it works. Looks confusing, but it's not. On the left, you've got your recycling. 
Basically, it's an incinerator. They're going to burn this stuff, turn it into ash. The heat from that powers steam generators. They power turbines. They create electricity. Or you can compress that end product into those little nuggets like we saw. And essentially, yeah. that's um, you know that's how they, they get from garbage to usable electricity. And then there's no additional waste you know, thereafter, right? So, um, and then you can use it for, this is a biodiesel. So the CO2 coming off of something, i.e. burning garbage, it goes into a probiotic uh, reactor. Again, they use algae and organisms to break this down, the byproduct and, and light, of course, because algae is photosynthesis based, so it needs light. Byproduct would be oxygen, biofuel, biodiesel, livestock right. feed, fertilizer, everything else. So I think that is where we need to focus in terms of clean because we're not only doing something, but we're fixing something and we're not producing more waste, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I actually have some stats to, to talk about, th about this type of thing, this, this biofuel, um, sustainable biofuel. So the U S energy information administration says that biofuel, it made up of, of 5% of total U S transportation fuel consumption in 2021. Now, that's obviously nothing. That's like that's like a little drop in the bucket compared to what fossil fuels are using right now. But but here's where things get really interesting because the global biofuel production is expected to hit about around 165 billion liters by 2024. That's next year. So we're right around the corner from dramatically increasing those biofuels. Um, hopefully, hopefully, because that's a lot of power. I mean, that's a lot of good power. We're we're literally leveling up that that uh that biofuel game, if you will. And there's another stat that I wanted to bring up. So some of these biofuels are reducing greenhouse gas emissions by up to 86% compared to traditional gasoline. So, you know, again, it's like you, you choose a green path instead of going, you know, down these, you know, where, where the where where the where the choices actually matter. In my opinion, I think that the, these these choices matter to human civilization versus just the uh, economic value of of a certain market. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's just kind of my perspective. I, I figured those two stats were pretty interesting for me, anyway. For me, yeah. And the whole idea with biofuel is that out of a gallon of biodiesel, you actually get more kilojoules or more, you know, burnable yeah. energy than you would out of a, you know, of yeah. a dinosaur juice. Even though it's not dinosaur juice, but <laughs> you know what I mean, like you know, the old-fashioned black crude oil turned into diesel right, right. versus yeah. a bioway. And when biofuels first came out. A lot of people said, well, yeah, this is great. But if you look at how much corn you have to grow to produce ethanol, A, there, you know, there's not enough land on the planet to do it, which I don't know if that's correct or not. But, um, uh, I mean, you know, corn is already being used for human consumption, animal feed. There's only so many places you can grow corn. It takes space, a lot of water and all that. But now there's other ways of producing biodiesel or bioethanol without using corn. They're using algaes. They're using bio waste. You know, like here's the biodiesel food chain. So the first generation, it's things like palm, sunflower, canola, uh, non-edible feedstock like castor beans, things like that. And then uh, alg algal biomass. So they use all these things, extract oil. Uh, then they use a process called uh, transesterification. Transesterification. Big fancy word, essentially you're purifying that oil, turning it into something that a combustion engine can run off of. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be growing corn. It could be growing crops, crops that we don't have any other uh, use for that maybe take a lot less water, a lot less space. So the whole corn ethanol thing is, is out the window. And you could essentially modify every combustion engine on the planet mm -hmm. 
for only a couple hundred dollars per vehicle. So I, again, we're going to get into electric cars and stuff like that. It is a myth that electric cars will save the planet. We will show you why. But in essence, if you wanted something that's faster, readily available now, and something that we could all use, the issue is the infrastructure. We don't have biofuel yeah. refueling tanks, especially not if you're living in a small town, which most populations are pretty spread out. Yeah, they're big city centers. But again, you also have pushback from the oil and gas sector that doesn't want any of this to happen because they don't have a monopoly like OPEC has on oil and gas. Yeah. So the politics end of it comes in. But kudos to some sporting. In fact, my favorite sport is Formula One racing. They've made a pledge that by 2026, every single car will have to run on, on sustainable biofuel. Wow. So that is the highest performing automotive engine on the planet. They already have electric hybrid assist and other things like that, energy recovery. So it's it's already a mild electric car, but the gasoline component will be full biofuel. So if Formula One cars can still perform on biofuel, your Honda Civic is going to do just fine. And it doesn't mean lithium mining and the pollution, which I have some stats on that too. They're mind boggling. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts on the whole biodiesel biofuel? Do you think that that's realistic? Can we get there? I a hundred. First of all, we should we should already be there. Yeah, um, you know, like we the fact that there is a there is a documentary called "Who Killed the Electric Car" in nineteen that was like a nineteen ninety thing. GM. We I think we talked about it briefly. You're going to go over why electric cars are not the way, but we're not. That's I'm not saying electric cars are the way. I'm just saying that we had the ability to do a far better job of what electric cars are doing today. Only we they killed it because, you know, it's not profitable. But the crazy thing for me is that if you think about these technologies in the long run, these fuels that could be implemented today, right now, in the long run, not only is it more is, is it more sustainable, which we some people care about, some people don't because you can't think about what happens in 100 years. You can't imagine what's going to happen in 100 years. But if you have kids or grandkids, yeah. you might want to start thinking about that because uh, if somebody told me, hey, listen, you're, you know, in 100 years, uh, you, you're, if you have grandkids or your kids or whatever survive for that long, who knows? Um, they're gonna, they're gonna probably die miserably. <laughs> it's like, what, why? Because yeah. of the way that we're running or I think I'd want to change the way that things are today. So I think, I think we could do that today. We could, um, there, there was a lot, there's a lot of data that talks about how, and I haven't, I did, I should have brought this, but I didn't think about it. I'm just on the fly talking about this. Everybody listening, Google, what we're talking about, you can find the same information on the internet. Um, or you can always ask AI because they might be able to help it, but check that stuff on Google because it's not always perfect. But they had they were able to completely change renewable energy in the 80s to like transition our 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 energy production to alternative alternative energies in the 80s. That includes geothermal, tidal, all these energies could have been they could have replaced fossil fuels in the 80s. There's a guy named Jacques Fresco who did a, a interview on Larry King. And if you look at it, just again, YouTube, Jacques Fresco, Larry King, and check that interview out. He rips the fossil fuel industry and, of course, society, the, the systems we have today apart because we could have done this literally like eight, 50, 50, 60 years ago. So, yeah, absolutely. And in terms of some of the renewable energies we're going to talk about here. So you've got wind power, solar, tidal energy, photovoltaics, geothermal power, wind turbines, hydro, biomass, biofuel, solar thermal energy, uh, again, photovoltaic systems, sunlight, uh, hydroelectricity, marine energy, concentrated solar power, even solar water heating. 
these are all technologies that exist yeah. that are currently being used. We're going to go through a few. I got a quick video clip here on sustainability of biofuels. Let's uh, let's see what the world of TikTok has to offer this topic. Biofuels legit. Well, fossil fuels are responsible for 75% of global emissions, mostly for energy, power, and transportation. So eliminating emissions from fuels would make a huge difference in our atmosphere. Sustainable biofuels aren't made from petroleum or other fossil fuels, but instead things like plants and waste. But not all are created equal. There's ethanol made from crops and various plant materials known as biomass, which a lot of gasoline in the U.S. already contains. And biodiesel made from vegetable oils and animal fats, plus a bunch of others made from things like algae, hydrogen, and animal while fossil fuels are finite, meaning they would run out one day, biofuels can be made sustainably from renewable feedstocks, eliminating the need for coal, oil, or gas, and can fit into infrastructure that's already designed for fuels. But unfortunately, biofuels are still burned and release emissions. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, emissions reductions range from about 19% to 86% less than fossil fuels. So decreasing emissions by, say, half is progress, but it's frankly not enough. And usually biofuels are mixed with fossil fuels, so the decrease is even less. There are other arguments against biofuels, too, like the additional strain on agriculture. But ultimately, biofuels are better than petroleum and coal, but not nearly as good as truly renewable options like solar, wind, hydro, geothermal, or nuclear. The cool thing for me is the simplicity of these molecules. If you can make ethanol, which is alcohol, that replaces gasoline or fatty-based oils to produce yep. biodiesel, essentially our cars are basically running on alcohol and French fryer oil anyways. We've <laughs> just made them run better using the petrochemical version. Like That's why I said for not a lot of money, you could literally modify current vehicles as they are without reinventing everything or making everybody go all electric. And I want you to go through, I know you've got some video clips on these various technologies. Before we get into the electric car, there's a lot to the electric car that I think people don't quite realize. And I don't want to, I don't want to do electric car and then go back into these technologies. So you want to start with seaweed, your cool findings on yeah, seaweed? So, yeah. So if you could pull up, well, let's, so I don't know if you guys know what seaweed, this is a seaweed. So it's called uh, macroalgae, um, which is being looked at right now as a source of biofuel. It grows really fast. We talked about how algae grows really fast using photosynthesis. Of course, it doesn't need fertilizer or fresh water, and it absorbs CO2. So we talked about that. It's pretty clear. Let's check that video out real quick, and then I'll talk about how it works, how the process works. And you can see it. A flexible seaweed-like electricity generator that harvests wave energy. It sways like seaweed in ocean waves on the surface and underwater, and generates electricity by rubbing different materials against each other, which makes them efficient and also durable in both calm and harsh conditions. The electricity generated would mainly be used for things like ocean sensors and lights on top of buoys, which could power the internet of things out in the oceans, which normally have to get their batteries replaced like pretty regularly. But in the future, mass Massive scaled up versions could power bigger things like lighthouses or. And he goes They're on to say, cool. yeah, very cool. so essentially it's like, it's like everything that could be powered either from the coastline out. That would be what this, that kind of technology could be used for. Now it's not some of the bigger technology that can be used, some of the bigger renewable energy sources that we can use. But I found that to be really interesting because, you know, being able to convert that without having to do anything other than let allow the natural motion of the ocean which by the way there are other things like tidal which we'll talk about here after this as well that's a pretty interesting tech uh, pretty interesting way to generate electricity without even producing uh crops any further than we then already grow naturally in the ocean so so or naturally on on objects without having to use you know like it's like you said fresh water or anything like that so to me i again i don't know why we're not using these technologies more prevalently i'm just kidding i do know why i think we all do 
but I feel like we should we should be um, we should be doing a lot more. So right right now it is an emerging technology, but there are countries like um, like for example Japan and South Korea, which I didn't even know South Korea was using this seaweed renewable energy uh, process, but they are. Um, they're using it, of course, on their coastlines as well. We could use it too in the, in the U.S. Anybody can use it. Anywhere in the world, can, this stuff can be used. So I found this to be really interesting um, for 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 one of the sources of, of alternative energy. But the next one we have, and you have the video for that as well? Yeah, the wave energy one. This one I found, I haven't seen the video clip, but I find this technology very interesting. In fact, the east coast of Canada, they're doing this. There's an area in the province of Nova Scotia. It's called Truro, and it has a, a tidal bore, which is basically yeah. – a huge separation between low tide and high tide. When the tide comes in, it creates this kind of water running back against the current sort of effect. But they're using it there. And also, in, I'm not sure if it's Sweden or Norway, but Scandinavian-based countries also have these big fluctuations in tide. And they have, you know, energy capture systems as a result of that. So let's take a look at... Yeah. Uh, our, go well, ahead, sorry. There, there are, there are mechanisms. So you'll see in the video, but there are mechanisms that help this... Um, this, this technology produce energy you're thinking like how can waves produce energy well the waves themselves obviously aren't producing energy there are mechanisms that when interacted with by the waves that motion it creates uh friction that creates energy but you'll see that here in a second as well it captures the movement of the waves and turns it into electricity but let's check this out and then i'll talk a little bit more about this too wave energy harvester that can work in almost any conditions. Its A-shaped frame that holds the line of floats and rotors that generate the electricity can open when conditions are decent but close to protect itself when conditions are bad, so it can survive harsh weather but still continue to harvest energy, which is why... And that's, it just repeats itself, but by the way, that that TikTok channel, I, it's a great TikTok channel. I've been following them now because it's got so many great, uh, it talks about a lot of different topics. You'll see them a lot. You'll see him a lot on our on our channel, especially moving forward. But yeah, this there is a lot. There's also tidal energy that can be used um, on coastlines that can be that, that they can transport that energy to local um, areas to be used in homes. It's not just something that has to be used on the coastline, but the energy can be can be uh, produced or, or or generated from the coastline and then transported. And again, that's a, I think it's a strange process, but it, but it actually isn't, it's, it's not as complicated as you think. They just store it in, in battery cells and then yeah. they transfer it to people's homes and they use it in these small storage containers to produce, uh, to, to, for energy. It's renewable. You don't have to worry about, I mean, in, ter in terms of paying for it, you don't, you shouldn't even have to pay for it. The cost should be extremely low pennies to the dollar for the consumer. Yeah. So it's yeah. a pretty good alternative energy source as well. I found a company out there that's doing a lot of these ocean-based renewable energies, and <clears throat> they were kind of vague because these companies don't want to give away their intellectual property. But a few other um, things that they're using the ocean for, just in terms of saving energy or producing new energy, was a seawater air conditioning. So using the cold water from the ocean, yeah. run it through pipes with a fan or a radiator, and effectively, you're just like you could be radiating hot, you could also be radiating cold. So seawater air conditioning, I thought was cool. Another technology that they're using is called salinity gradient anode and cathode stacks. So they're hmm. using different saturations of salt content and setting it up like a battery oh, with an anode, yeah, and yeah. a plus and a yeah. minus, and yeah. somehow using that electrolysis with those electrolytes, you can create energy just by different gradients of this massive abundance of salt water that we have anyways. That's and another one was ocean thermal energy conversion. So at certain levels of the ocean, there are bands of warmer water and colder water. And just like with air, when hot and cold mix, you have this kind of vortex current. Same things happen in water. 
So utilizing the difference, and sometimes it's upwards of a 20 degree difference between the, the warm, which isn't very warm at all, but warmer than the deep cold, and just using the difference in the naturally existing currents, they can also you know use the ocean to generate power and do all kinds of cool stuff. So I thought that was pretty awesome. You know, you, you're all going to see a couple more of these, but even with the ones that you listed in that in that that um that image you had earlier, there are we focus on one source of energy production now, for the most part, for the most part, which is fossil fuels. But there are so many. When you look into alternative energies, there are so many of them. It's it's kind of weird that we again, it's really strange that we're not using them as as uh, as much as what, what I think we should be, but even more importantly, as much as we can. And in terms of our of our I don't know existence, we probably need to change some things now. <laughs> well, here's to put it in perspective of how dependent we are, just mentally, and how used to petrochemicals we are in terms of uh, harvesting hydrogen for the things you know they use it on space fuel and stuff like that, and a bunch of random things. But we've hydrogen can be split just using electricity out of water. But for years. The way and still now, the way that most of the, the uh, hydrogen is produced is using oil based products. Yeah, we are literally using oil yeah. and gas even to make hydrogen yeah. when we could just use water yeah. to make green hydrogen. So, you know, it's it's not all there. And again, it, it's difficult because of the fact that there are monopolies. These companies are not just going to give away the golden goose, um, you know, the myth of electric cars, which we'll get into as well. But, you know, I thought that that was crazy that even hydrogen, the most yeah. abundant element in the universe, we it's, still got to use oil and gas to strip it yeah, out. Like, what is wrong with so, us? Yeah, I don't. I, I again, I feel like it's an idiocracy. You know, there's if you've never seen the movie Idiocracy in the in the future, um, there there's a military guy who gets stuck in a hyperbolic time chamber or something like that, and he the world essentially gets there. There's a, a nuclear war or some kind of war that wipes out most of humanity, and the only people that survived are pretty much dumb. They're like cavemen, um, big you know brawly guys who are you know. The, the president is, is uh, I can't think of his name, but he plays, he, he always plays a big, big muscular black dude who dances with his shirt off. Uh, think white chicks. He's the guy that put the girl. Oh, one of the Wayans brothers. <laughs> no, no. He's the dude that, that the, the, he put, he put that girl in a wheelchair and, and um, you got to see it's, it's, <laughs> and one of the Wayans brothers, he likes her. He likes her. And they, they have a, they have a, was it Britney Spears or something like that? He tries to turn him off by singing Britney Spears, but he doesn't care. He likes Britney Spears too. I think it was Britney Spears or whatever, but he, either way, um, I can't think of his Tyler. I don't know his name right now. I can't think of it, but um, he's the president. He's a big, muscular, dumb guy. The military dude is the smartest person in the whole world. People are so dumb. He can, he can trick them into getting his way out of whatever, you know, but ultimately the idea is that, is that barbarism prevails that we have essentially, you know, de devolved to the point where using the most inefficient, un ineffective, violent, uh, primalistic ways of living are how we we as we have devolved into the future. And when I look at how we produce energy today or how we do a lot of things today, it it feels like we're doing them. We're, there's there's like this weird counterintuitive application of these technologies instead of instead of a. Uh, what seems to be the natural progression of technology. We're doing the exact opposite. I don't, I don't get it. I don't. They've had I, monopolies for so long that we've kind of forgotten that they're there. So we go about our daily lives. We don't necessarily we don't see so, it yeah. right in front of our face. Yeah. We just think all is good. Why do we need to change all this stuff? Why do I need to, you know, have paper straws? But the problem is, is this problem is long overdue and should have been dealt with years ago. And we've had the means to, 
But again, I mean, political campaigns are funded on contributions to these from, from the these companies, and right? So Exxon and if you get elected president and the oil companies paid your way, how are you then going to say, hey, no more oil and gas? Like, I'm yeah, sure Canada shot for less, but anyway. Oh, well, maybe, maybe not less, but something. Yeah, there, there was a, there was a, a certain politician. I'm not going to mention his name because I don't have a political position at all. I don't think it's just ridiculous. Um, I, I, who's who, who made a, a case for, um, essentially drilling, drilling, drilling more oil after an oil spill. He was like, we need to increase drilling, um, because this so that we can compensate for the for the oil spill that we just had. And I was like. D did you learn nothing from what just happened? It was yep. a massive, this is years ago, but a massive oil spill. And he comes out, come to find out he's in the, he's, he's got deep pockets and the, you, we already know who were filling those pockets. It's those, it's a fossil fuel industry, it's some of the shell companies. And it was shell and it was um, Exxon were essentially funding him and they've been funding him for over a decade. And I thought, how, how do they trick people into thinking that this is the best way to like, Forget about, you know, sustainable energy. This is all sissy stuff. You know, this is, this yeah. is, you want to be a real man? Get in your truck, fill that baby up with some diesel and drive around and smell it all. Just so waft it in, you know, take your dog, watch yeah. them on. Like, it's like insane to me that they've tricked people in it. And it's not people's fault that they're being tricked because we all want something better for us in our future. But these politicians don't care about us at all. I mean, come on, guys. You got, we got to do better. We got to look at scientists. We got to look at the sciences for answers to solutions not politicians. Yeah. And we all remember the big oil spills like the Exxon Valdez off the coast of Alaska, yep. the British petroleum one that happened in the Gulf of Mexico what, 10 years ago or whatever. But there is at least one major oil spill on the planet every year, at least one of mm -hmm. I would, I don't know about the sizes. I didn't do the, the deep dive on the math on how big they are big enough to be considered an oil spill, not yep. like a bucket. We're talking millions of barrels of crude leaking into the, into the system. And, you know, we know that that affects organisms at the smallest level. That's now the food chain. Everything eats something smaller than itself. You destroy the first chain, everything falls out. You know what I mean? What was, it, what was the uh, Chernob Chernobyl, right? I, and I'm not, uh, I'm not, um, I haven't done a lot of research on this recently, but we all know about Chernobyl. When, whenever I see something like that, I think to myself, what makes people think that nuclear is the better option for, <laughs> for sustainable? I, I get that if you get it right, it is a much better technology if you get it right. But if you get it wrong, there are some pretty massive, you know, implications yeah, for true. the rest of humanity. Like it's, like people are worried about AI. It's going to turn into robots and you kill us all. But like nuclear it is literally like Chernobyl. I just feel yeah. like there, there's some, you know. Well, nuclear is clean when everything is working. There is yeah. no byproduct. It's basically yeah. just heated water. You know, it's the old boiler system that we invented 200 years ago. It's the issue is when it goes wrong. And even when it doesn't go wrong, you still have spent fuel. You have these, you know, rods that need to be encased in concrete and buried, you know, a mile below the surface. Yeah. It's going to sit there for the next million years decaying, whatever the half-life is of this stuff. So it's still not a good resource because there is waste in the future. I mean, Fukushima was a disaster. There's actually a very good documentary. It was made by Japanese filmmakers. It's on Netflix right now, basically about the guys that stayed there, knowing it would affect their lives or probably kill them. Guys that were urinating blood just from going in and out of the reactor, trying to get these pressure valves open. But I mean, oh, just man. recently they had Quickly. to release, 
millions of liters of radioactive water back into the ocean because the the pressure was building again like that thing is still melting down they're slowly disassembling that whole thing you'll never be able to go anywhere near that place again for thousands of years it's going to take 60 years to disassemble the place plus the nuclear fallout both in the air and in the water that happened as a result and i mean that's essentially one tsunami which Japan is prone for tsunamis. Many countries are. One thing that is probably going to happen again was enough to cause that chain reaction. And as soon as they had the inability to vent the pressure, temperatures start rising. That's what a meltdown effectively is, is you cannot cool down these rods any faster. No. And then you just have massive, massive issues. I think some of these guys, they said it's measured in millisieverts. What is a healthy dose of radiation? And they said like the maximum you could have in a year would be like 80 to 100 millisieverts. And these guys that were checking on this reactor, they would come back and their reading would be 800. So <laughs> you had eight years worth of radiation in 25 oh, minutes. Man. Like oh, many man. of these people died, are still dying. It's it's bad. Like, you know, nuclear is only good when it's working. But even if nothing ever failed, you still have the issue of spent nuclear waste. That's thousands of years to break down, you know? Yeah, I just I don't again, I feel like I always quote the idiocracy because I feel like we are we have such brilliant methods for alternative alternative energy sources that we are barely utilizing, especially to its full to what we're capable of utilizing it for. Um, and then we're focusing and promoting some of these alternative these other energies like fusion or nuclear, sorry. And um, and, and we're still using fossil fuels on a massive level, knowing that it's going to cause like catastrophic outcomes i don't i again i don't understand i don't get it i don't yeah. get it money yeah. is not gonna i don't think it's there's enough money in the world to to quicken the the, the extinction of the human race <laughs> yeah and let's be honest there's a lot of greedy men in their ancient age that don't think like that they're capitalists through and through they're not going to be here to deal with it in the future right so in a very ignorant way, they know that it won't be their problem to solve. But I don't think we should be the century on this planet that destroyed the planet either. 4.3 billion years and we screwed up in 150 years of industrial advancements. Like, yeah, man, we're yeah. better than that. We're better than that. And you got a few other technology videos here yeah, man. on uh, alternative energy. Yeah. So if you could pull that video up and we'll talk about it. the vertical turbine, is that the one that we have next? Vertical right? wind turbine. Sounds yeah. Cool. So the vertical, yeah, it's, it's really cool. This is like the, literally the maverick of wind power. Um, but let's yeah. check this out and then we'll talk about wind turbine can curl up to protect itself from storms. The prototype can generate 400 watts of power during normal wind speeds and still generates power in a closed state during strong winds that would normally damage or even destroy a normal turbine. It's a unique approach to creating renewable power and could be a long-term solution all because... And then that was pretty crazy. I've never seen a regular turbine under high I've, wind literally yeah. like burning itself out. It's actually it's actually a huge problem and well in terms of it, it happens too often let's put it that way um it's one thing that people that are anti-climate you know activists people who are like they're like you know let me drink my fossil fuels for breakfast kind of people um they talk about stuff like that all the time but this is a really this is honestly it's a perfect solution for like urban areas um because of the because again it can be used in plenty of uh, plenty of places so you can set it up on small scales all over all over the place you know you might see the some of them popping up she's the footprint There's looks no, like it's less, right? It's not like I've seen one of those turbines getting delivered by like tractor trailers. Just one of the blades on your typical no. wind turbine 
was like the oversized loaded trailer that they used to move like houses yeah. down the highway with like four support escort vehicles moving it. That was one blade off of a three blade turbine. So, the, you know, the size isn't always, uh, isn't yeah. always well, the best, especially if they can burn out. 100%. They do take up less space. Um, they work literally with winds in any direction, by the way. So it does, they don't have to have uh, they don't depend on us the wind blowing in a certain direction. Um, and you can place them a lot closer to where the power source is or where it's being used. I'm sorry, is so if it's these are like again, these could be used for people that live in a small maybe a, a neighborhood block. You can have a couple of them um, in a city um, to give to produce or to provide power for for homes and businesses. And it yeah. also takes up less energy. And there's less um, emissions or trend. There's a lot of less lost energy. I'm sorry, a lot of yeah, less less energy lost um, yeah. as a, as a means for producing. So this this is a pretty cool. I think it's a pretty cool energy uh, solution that we're not again we're not utilizing to its full potential um, for whatever reason. I don't know, but it is something that I mean the Obama administration they 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 put in legislation to kind of push by a certain I can't remember what the year it was, but they're trying to push for renewable energy sources that are specifically based off of wind. Uh, over the next decade and he put a lot of money into it but some of that has been pushed pulled back by um the other other people so yeah we'll see we'll see cool thing happens. about that video was it appeared that each of those little spinning cups would be on its own sort of turbine generator a regular windmill you have three blades spinning and you've got one main hub but each of those little guys spinning at different rates they're each charging their own little mechanism so essentially that's like having 15 yeah, spinning at different speeds all charging in conjunction yeah and they they all rotate on their own axis right yeah uh, so it's, it's so like they are independently spinning which is why they can be they in any direction they can the, the winds can be um blown in any direction that would still generate power it's pretty cool yeah. stuff and we saw that ability to contract when it's bad weather same thing with those floating uh, tidal harvesting machines right that's the big issue you build a massive structure in the ocean it's nothing to the ocean that can produce 80 foot waves it'll just smash your stuff to bits so having the ability to survive nature and then yeah. go back when it's calm again i think that's important yeah. yeah these these are energies that again i didn't even some of them i didn't know i'd never heard about vertical wind uh, a wind turbine never yeah. saw one not like that anyway um, or, or, you know, for example, there's another one that has a perpetual motion, which will, yeah. this is a really, really cool one. I don't know a lot about the, I just saw the video and I know about some perpetual motion energy machines, but they, they're fringe because science allegedly physics, according to physics, there is, it's not possible to be able to produce energy, um, from perpetual motion. It's not supposed to be, but there is somebody who has, can you pull that video up, please? Before I do, I always get a picture in my mind of, you know, those balls swinging and the other goes. That's yeah. essentially perpetual oh, motion. Why have we not figured out an engine that works on that principle? You know, well, I've seen uh, water pressure engines that shoot a piston yeah. like they, they exist. That's wanna, just, we can get into conspiracies on the on the, you know, on the yeah the Patreon side. We'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that on the uh, the after episode of this. But yeah. let's check out perpetual motion. See what we got. Balance. And there you have it. Watch how what do you think? There is a reason why I was telling you about the surprise. Ah, but wait. Let's see what it is generating. Here I have a little light. We are going to connect it. Look how it is working. 
But since we don't want it to be just for one light, I've already brought the same thing that that gentleman tested. Let's plug in the fan now. We already have it running. The only thing I would be missing would be to put on my flip-flops because he always wears flip-flops. I don't know. This Chinese gentleman. But he really is a genius. What he did is a genius. Pretty much it. So that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, a, a bicycle rim and some two liter Coke bottles and some liquid and essentially, I mean, so that I guess you'd have to have it set just perfect so that it doesn't speed up too much or lose momentum. It would have to be calculated, yeah. but the guy in it his basement can do that. What are we doing at a technological level with, you know, billions of government funding? Well, there's a, there's a really interesting video. We'll, again, we'll watch that in the other half, but there, there's, you have to give it the the initial um push yeah. but after the initial push it perpetually can it, it keeps its energy or its momentum going which produces a small amount of energy for small uses now i can't think of of uh, of a of other than other than placing maybe an enclosure with that type of mechanism not exactly the same we could probably engineer something much more efficient than that but something an enclosure against the wall at every outlet and that instead of it pulling energy from for example, the power lines, it could produce its own energy at every single outlet in your home, which would be sustainable, renewable. I mean, it, forget about it. Just it would produce its own energy. The only thing you'd have to do is over time because of evaporation and so forth, you'd have to obviously replenish the water or maybe you, or whatever the liquid is that you put inside of it. Or maybe the mechanism the will, will eventually wear out. Um, that's a pretty good solution. I mean, it's again, it's not. It's not something that's that's as uh, prevalent or as known as like the other alternative energies. It's even less known because physics says it's not supposed to be possible. And yet this is not the only example of somebody doing yeah. something like this, by the way. Um, and I've seen people that like live off the grid. They go and generate a water wheel like we're going to see next year. Yeah, but really something cool. very basic, which is essentially or they'll even just dig like a channel, funnel water down, run it over a wheel that's spinning. Yep. And it's just charging like a couple of car batteries. And it produces a very little amount, but when that's running for hours and hours and hours constantly, there's always enough electricity in the cabin for when they go out to their cottage or whatever, and they're just running off of that natural energy that's already there. Like you don't need a lot of, of drain. The things that take the most amount of power are things that conduct a lot of heat. So like usually appliances like toasters, ovens, things that you're plugging into the wall and then now have to get glowing red hot. That seems to produce most of the, uh, the waste, right. Or the biggest draw is with those, like you won't blow the breaker if you plug 15 cell phones into your kitchen, but if you plug in a toaster, a microwave, a hair iron, a clothes iron, and you run them all at the same time, you'll blow a 15 amp breaker. No problem. Cause that's way more draw than that, you know, than that yeah. system can handle. So just basic electricity needs, a lot of people running a couple panels and that's good enough or some type of hydroelectric where they're using the forces of water or perpetual energy. Like you mentioned, you could have one of these at your house. You could essentially go there, get it started by hand. And now that thing's producing enough power to use that plug. And the only you could also, you could flip, would be the turbine. Yeah. You know, even a liquid could be like mineral oil or something that wouldn't naturally disappear over time. You know, it wouldn't evaporate because it's not water, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think it's again. It's one of those things that 
um, they are they are considered fringe because physics says it's not possible, and yet it's being done. Yeah. Um, and it's not the first person to do this, by the way. Again, there are other people who have been who've been bought out by the fossil fuel in industry after producing energy from magnet magnetism somehow, um, or what are they rotating magnets yeah. and, and and other perpetual uh, perpetual motion um, mechanisms that produce energy. They've been bought out. They've been bought out or their their, you know, their garages mysteriously burned down with all of the uh, data for their scientific discoveries. Yeah, it's it's I mean, again, it's, I, I don't want to get into the fringe right now. We'll talk about that in the the other part, but it's pretty it's pretty cool stuff for sure. So let's yep. check out the water wheel here. So let me just say let me preface this one with uh, a story. I, and it's a very it, this is a vague memory. A, many, many years ago, um, I went to a, a, an educational facility where. Um, a live-in educational facility where they, you know, they teach young guys who are are pretty much in bad situations. Let's put it that way. And I was in a bad situation, not because I was a bad kid, just my family was in a bad situation. And there was a guy there who was uh, this dude was a um, he was some kind of a of a of a psychologist or sociologist who interacted with communities all over the state. And he came across this town that was using this this technology. We're going to see this um. This energy technology we're going to see here in a second. It's not really, a, you can call it a technology. It's a mechanism. And the town was essentially sued because they were taking, they, they were hurting the economy of the fossil fuel industry, allegedly. And they had to get rid of that energy source so that and rely, rely on uh, the city's power and fossil fuels because they're using alternative energies to fuel everything, everything. Um, their homes were being, uh, were using this electricity. Everything was using it, and they had to get off of it because it was hurting the economy. That was it. That was the, That was essentially what they were being told. Um, the idea that these technologies could disrupt the economy—they are the, they're probably the biggest reason for why we don't use them on a large scale. It has nothing to do with whether or not we can do it. It's because it could hurt the economy as we know it today, because yeah. we rely so heavily on fossil fuels. But let's check this yeah. out. This is really cool. Well, you know what? Nothing hurts the economy more than everybody dying. Or uh, you I, know, I didn't want to say it, but like a lot worse will... things that will affect the economy. If you don't start paying attention. <laughs> oh man! But anyway, I'm not a I'm not a green thumper. You know, I'm not somebody <laughs> that's out there. You know, eating cardboard and campaigning <laughs> for you know all vegan no. is good. Like I I support everybody and their beliefs. If everybody's trying, if everybody has a positive outlook and what they're really passionate about is about helping, then that's good enough for me. I, you know, I can agree to disagree. It's yeah. the utter denial. Or it's the political influence that says, no, no, we know there's a better way, but to keep this old boys club rolling smooth, we're just going to keep doing it the way we've been doing it. That's what drives me nuts because that's what's yeah. caused the problem, you know? Yeah. All right. Let's check out uh, Water Wheel 101. It's really cool. So now, basic. I know that was so basic. That was quick. That was quick, and I did that on purpose because I didn't want to. These videos, I, um, it's very difficult to find ones that don't have background music. That's like copyright infringement. Um, most people put that behind them, but that you can play that one more time. There, the wind. The, the, just remove really, that one. Give me one sec. Oh, no, no, sorry, man. So, so let me just let me kind of give you an idea of, of essentially what it does. All it all it's doing is, and you've seen this before probably with like, well, think about like a dam, the water literally just gets it, it just produces electricity by being by the pressure that it's that's uh that here let me see if i can i got so it right look, here as the water flows 
it turns that wheel. That wheel turning is producing energy within inside of the the source or the base of that of that mechanism, and that's and it's constantly going. The, the water never stops running. Yes, perpetual. So this is a, perpetual. There was a large one that was uh, that was in that town. It was massive. Um, in in the town that was essentially they had to remove it because it was hurting the economy. But they do have the potential to produce a lot of energy for um, an entire town if it's if it's placed uh, at certain locations throughout, like alongside of those rivers of those running waters. Or so, you have a bunch running in tandem across the width of the river. You could be spinning fifty of those stupid things. You know. Yeah, and it doesn't. There's no environmental impact. There's no emissions of any kind. Yep. It just produces energy by the flow of the water and that wheel spinning. It's it's phenomenal. And again, I don't, you know, I don't think that there's a lot that needs to be said about um about. I think we've already pretty much you know belabored the point about the fact that we could be doing this, but we haven't. But it is a shame. It is a shame that we don't see a lot of these technologies littered throughout our society. I will say this much about about the resistance to these these things. I do think that if we were to to make a true transition to these energy sources, these energy production sources, there would need to be a change in our, in the way that we live our lives daily. Probably, probably wouldn't be able to use as much. We wouldn't be able to consume as much. I think our consumption would have to go down in order for us to live a more sustainable um, lifestyle. Yeah. Or at least in the initial stage, because as anything is ramping up, it's never going to have full capacity. It's going to produce 10% of our needs, then 20, then 30. There's a ramping up. But again, we are like a, just our economy, the global planet. It's a consumption-based economy where it's like a car with a stuck gas pedal. Nobody wants to yeah. let off because it's like, why do I have to suffer because of these decisions made by these massive companies? Well, we're all going to suffer and our, yeah. our offspring will suffer if we don't start thinking about that. I'm not saying everybody has to wear hemp clothing and all babies have to use cloth diapers, but we need to get a little more into the way of realizing that you know, it's not as simplistic as it was before. Like there's not enough corn yeah. to grow biofuel. That's BS. You don't even need corn to make biofuel, right? So these no. technologies yeah. are there, but they involve investments of money that a lot of companies don't have. Or if they took that investment, their a result wouldn't be as cheap or as plentiful as the old school technology that like there's no incentive for them to do it unless they want to destroy their, their profit statement. And if it's a publicly traded company, that's how your stock plummets when shareholders start bailing because they know you're not producing, right? I mean, it's the yeah. way that everything runs, the, the, the way businesses run, economies run, the way countries interact with each other, the exchange of goods for services or other goods. It's it's all it's not even currency, right? It's like we sell Canada sells the U.S. lumber, and you know we buy back steel and all this other stuff, and vehicles are imported. So it, these relationships are very complicated. And these oil and gas companies don't just do oil and gas. They own other businesses. They buy companies and squash patents that, you know, it's cheaper to just buy this guy out with his water engine than for us to retool all of our factories to stop running on gas. And as long as that's allowed to happen, which I can't see why it wouldn't be, but I mean, we're losing a lot of good proprietary information that could be used to benefit um, but again, that, that goes down to a political level and people making noise, people getting educated. So congrats everybody for watching a show like this, hopefully inspires you to you know take in more content, but that's where it starts. You need to realize it. You need to get fired up. I'm not saying you need to go, you know, uh, campaign or go lay, uh, lay in front of a politician's lay, doors. Lay your body. Lay your yeah, body. Get you anywhere anyways, but <laughs> encourage these type of conversations. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing mentality. We just have to shift 
from using certain things to using other things. Our end, you know, consumer needs is the goal. We want to continue to yeah. satisfy the needs of everybody on the planet, whether it's food, energy. But is there a way we can do that without destroying the planet? Yes. But it means everybody has to make a little bit less. And like I said, I'm okay if you're making 30 billion a year, but if you could do it in a clean way for 28 billion, I think that's fair. No, like you're really going to wring yeah. the neck out of the planet just for that extra increase, which won't matter in a thousand years anyway. You know, I, I just think that we need to collectively start making more noise. And, yeah. um, and that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. And I, and I will say this on a, myself on a final note. I, I want to spend more time personally looking and this is a, this is the first time I've ever done any kind of deep dive into renewable energy. We all heard about it. We've seen the documentaries. We've you know read the articles. I, I this is the first time I've done a really deep dive into it. I think that honestly, personal opinion, I would prefer, I would like in my life kinetic energy sources. Um, like there's this guy who invented, and this is not necessarily a, a probably not a brand new invention, but he has this bicycle that you can ride it, and it produces kinetic energy, of course, from the wheels turning, and you can use that to power small devices. Every day you got to use that baby. But think about the health implications. And then, of course, the fact that it's it's your you're producing your own energy. You are the energy source, the water wheel. If you live next to a water source that has running running waters, it's kinetic energy. All you're doing is in it. And it's also fish friendly for all of you who think, you know, I can't go fishing anymore. No, you can still go fishing. Don't worry. It's not going to kill the fish. It's fish friendly. Those kinetic sources, I think, are they could be a huge um, help for people all over the world, all over the world. So I, I just wish that we, I wish we focus more on innovating in directions that, that, that are just cool. I, I think it's cool. I mean, does, don't you think it's cool to be able to do something like produce energy kinetically? I think it is. Maybe I'm just a stupid geek nerd like that, but you know, um, yeah. And we'll it's be. a shame that something so basic that we should all have access to, we don't for various reasons, but it doesn't mean we all have to become rocket scientists to figure out the solutions. The solutions are here. We've led the horse to the water. You cannot force the horse to drink the water. And that's kind of like uh, my last point I want to mention is the world of electric vehicles. Uh, many of you know I work in the automotive business. I have for the last 22 years managing car dealerships, franchise stores, that kind of thing. And I remember about 10 years ago, I had my own dealership and a client of mine owned insurance company that used to have road agents that would go and renew your auto insurance, your home insurance. They would deliver to your house. And he always bought Volkswagen Jetta diesels for his road agents. And so he came to me and I wasn't a Volkswagen dealer. This was a used car dealership, but he wanted like four as close to new as I could get them Jetta diesels. And I said, like, what do you need? Oh, no, it's cheaper. I save money. You know, I get more bang out of a gallon of diesel than I do gasoline. So I sat with him and I did the math. I said, OK, a regular Volkswagen Jetta is about 30 grand. Volkswagen Jetta diesel is 39,000. So you have a $9,000 premium. We did the math on how. Yeah. And you get a thousand kilometers out of a tank of diesel. You get about 650 out of a tank of gas. And there was a fuel savings and all the rest. So we did the math. But, you know, at 10 cents a liter savings, it takes a long time before you ever realize that $9,000 premium you paid up front just to get the diesel. So we did the math. He would have to keep that car eight years and put 160,000 or no, sorry, 120,000 miles. So over 200K on the car before he saved one penny on fuel. Wow. And he switched cars every three years because they get miled out because these cars never stop. They're on the road all day long. So I literally showed him that you're spending more money. The only way you would ever realize a profit is in eight years time from now. You've already traded that car six years before. 
And it really opened his mind that, hey, diesel wasn't going to save money or pollution either. As of late, we're all big on electric cars and everything else. So here's some stats about electric cars and lithium and everything else. Now, people kind of loosely know lithium goes into these batteries along with cobalt, nickel, a bunch of other elements. They are not necessarily clean in how they are mined. And in fact, I, I, I looked it up. So let's go back to coal, what we all see as the big bad monster, right? Mm -hmm. When you get uh, one ton of coal burned for whatever purpose you're burning it for, uh, it produces 2.8 tons of CO2 production. So that's almost three to one, the, the, the bad off product versus the initial bang. Gasoline is similar. I think gasoline engines and cars are like 65% efficient. Most of it is waste and, you know, it's not, it's not a very good efficient. I mean, natural gas is way more efficient than that. So one yep. ton of coal, 2.86 of uh, 2.86 tons of uh, waste, CO2. One ton of lithium produces 15 tons of CO2. So it is five times dirtier to mine lithium than if we just kept burning coal like we've been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years. So this myth that electric cars are saving the planet is nonsense. A, because the lithium itself, mining it produces 15 times more or five times more pollution than coal. Also, you have a, you're going to have a big used broken down battery issue of what do you do with these things? They cannot be repurposed currently. They're doing things with modular cells that can be swapped out. But that just prolongs the life of batteries that have faults in them. There will never be a day of the $500 beater car. Right now, you can go buy a 97 Cavalier for 500 bucks that'll mm. still drive you to your first school or your first job as a 16-year-old kid. Electric cars, A, have that massive price tag, an additional premium over gasoline cars. But they will depreciate to a point, just like any car. It'll depreciate to a point where replacing the battery no longer makes it worth having that car. And currently, some dealers are giving guys quotes of $30,000 for a battery. Now, you can get a battery replaced seven to 13 grand, depending on the car, but that's not from a dealer level. That's third parties that have recycled batteries. They're running a business on saving you money for a replacement battery. But in essence, there will never be a $500 electric car because as soon as it's worth seven grand to replace the battery, if that thing has got tons of miles on it and it's failing health in other areas, you're going to go, that's not worth it. Like, would you spend seven grand on that 97 Cavalier that you paid 500 bucks for? No. So why would you do that on an electric car that doesn't run? Yeah. So it's going you know, to eliminate the ability to drive cars. Uh, go ahead. Give me your sentiments first. I don't I'm sorry. Keep I, 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 I should look this up right now, but um, I remember reading about the statistics for in the, in the data on, on this. There isn't, there isn't, especially when it comes to initially, there is a massive carbon emission issue with electric vehicles because of the batteries. But from what I, from what I remember, and again, this is vague, man. Oh my gosh. I, I should have, I didn't even think about this till you said this now. They, 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 there's a long-term gain, I guess over time, even though initially there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an excess waste, it would still be more sustainable than using coal or using fossil fuels um, over the long run. That's what, that's Oh, man, I, I, I wish That's I had the you don't data factor in the future pollution that you're going to get from these cars. Now, long term gain also comes with big expense and who's going to bear the expense. Let me give you an example. So two years ago, I was a general yep. manager of a Cadillac dealership. Cadillac has a whole line of electric vehicles coming out. So to be Cadillac compliant, 
we had to have four high-speed charging stations. Now, it's not uncommon. You'll go to a, a shopping mall. They'll have a bank of like eight of these things. You can, they're, you yeah. know, they're, they're faster chargers than you would have in your home. So we had to get four of them. So we called the city, applied for a permit. We need these chargers. City laughed at us. So where are you getting this electricity? The amount of draw you need for four of those, it's double what's already running through the power lines on the road your business is on. So the city literally had to go and double the electrical capacity of that street just for one business, one business out of hundreds in the town, one business yeah. that wanted four chargers, not 40, four. And they didn't pay for it. The city's going, we're not paying for that because nobody needs this. So our quotes initially were almost a million dollars to get four chargers put in. And if it wasn't a massive dealership that's well-funded that had no choice but to do it, most companies would say, forget it. I'm not doing that. Now, can you imagine trying to have a fleet of trucks and say, we're going to go all electric? My friend's insurance company, he's going to spend a, a million dollars to get four charged. Come on. Like, that's never going to happen. It's And look at California. Every summer, they're this close to saying, you know what? We got to have rolling blackouts because we can't keep up with the cars and everybody running air conditioning and all the other drain in the summertime it's literally going to go to points where you're going to have to shut off your power so that everybody else can have power. So people are saying, you know, these uh, electrical companies are saying, oh, there's plenty of capacity in the network and blah, 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 because not everybody's going to charge their car at the same time. Nonsense. There is not enough capacity. If a city didn't have enough capacity for one business to put in four charging points, what is there to say that, oh, they have enough to do everybody? That is total nonsense. The grid doesn't exist. The infrastructure doesn't exist. And nobody wants to pay for it. And you're not going to get the gasoline companies to spend the money because they want you to keep driving internal combustion engines. So when you factor the initial premium that you pay, that loss as it depreciates, like any vehicle depreciates, the yeah. replacement of batteries, the pollution caused to mine the battery, and the pollution it's going to cause to deal with that battery at the end of his life, it is not sustainable there simply is not enough power and most electric energy is still being done by either nuclear or coal burning factories. We're still using dirty power to make what we think is clean power to run a car that we think is clean energy. It is a myth, my personal opinion, and it's an educated opinion as somebody with 22 years in the automotive business. I think biofuels are the way to go. It requires the least amount of modification. Whether we go hydrogen cells or some other type of thing, I don't know, or just keeping the internal combustion engine and run biofuel instead. But we got a big garbage problem. We have a huge waste oil problem. The two of those could disappear relatively quickly and we could eliminate the need to burn gasoline. We still need oil and gas. I don't think we'll ever be totally you know, dependent or independent from that until it runs out. Then we don't have a choice, but it's in everything. It's in paint. It's in food packaging, like literally plastics, yeah. like there are certain things we can do. We mentioned plastics. You know, I think I had a, a little one here on, uh, yeah. So this one here, uh, producing biofuels and uh, sugars, because I mean, a sugar molecule is not that far off from a petrochemical molecule. A saccharide molecule is very complicated and they be behave kind of similarly from a chemistry point of view. So instead of using ancient fossil fuels, we can generate biodegradable plastics, sugars that we can then ferment to make ethanol. It doesn't have to be as simplistic as there's not enough corn to feed, you know, to power everybody's car. That's 20 years ago. A lot has changed since then. Yeah. But mark my word, the electric car, not to mention, not to mention 
this is what happens sometimes. Okay. Can happen. This vehicle locked the, can, the passenger inside the vehicle. It caught on fire. And because there isn't an actual manual lever to open the door, like most cars have power locks, there's also a manual cable as a result. For emergencies, you can manually yank that thing and get out of the car. This Tesla did not have that. So I don't know if the people survived well, or not. Tesla, first of all, Tesla's, you know, they've got a lot of issues mechanically. Like, like the bill design for them is... People have said very cheap, cheap. Very cheap. I had a lady, she, yeah. her family bought a new Cadillac. She also picked up a brand new Tesla the same day. So we were yeah. all out here looking at it. Her gas cap door was about an eighth of an inch out of, <laughs> out of whack with the body panel. I'm like, hey, you're, you're oh, it's not a gas God. cap. It's a charging cap, but yeah. it's open. Yeah, She's yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's remote. It's closed. It didn't even line up flush with the car. And she spent $70,000 on that car, waited three years to get it. So I mean, I don't one get, you can actually, land or lock it. You know, you can land a rocket from outer space without having like like reuse it, but you 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 can't put the gas cap on the car, right? I don't. Yeah, the build quality. Is very Come, cheap. On, Come on, And <laughs> here's a here's a, what's going to happen in the future. Now it's going to be paid by month for features. So they're already talking about. Yeah. Well, you want to use the rear heated seats in your Tesla? That'll be a seven dollar a month charge. You want to use your panoramic roof? It won't work unless you pay us monthly. Like, talk about greed. It's not enough that you're ripping us off. The Teslas yeah, have had eight price increases in the last uh, two and a half years, totaling $30,000. Depending, I'm, now I'm, I'm saying that's on the high end with the SUV oh, model, but it's 30 yeah. grand more to buy that than it did when it first came out. And the cost of producing it, okay, maybe it went up, but it's not like it went up because the cost of gas, therefore manufacturing, that's the excuse a lot of these companies are, are making. Hey, we're still running on fuels. The higher oil goes, the more our cost of production goes. Well, if you're not, if you're eco-friendly producing vehicles, your cost should not change. You know what I mean? But so it is a business that is now becoming more of a business. They're trying to create this, you know, dependence. And a lot of manufacturers, like if you buy a new Chev, a Chevy Volt or whatever, uh, Bolt, if they'll put in a free electric charger at your house, they want to get you used to that infrastructure of having that. So that the next time around, you're like, well, I have this Chevy charger. I guess I'm buying another Chevy electric car or my stuff doesn't work. Now, for the meantime, jacks still work. That could still charge another car. They haven't all become proprietary plugs. I'm mm. sure that will happen at some point as people try to vie for a market in this field. But they're trying to create patterns. Um, but it is far from a perfect technology. This particular photo here, this was in Alberta, Canada. This car caught on fire and kept catching on fire. The fire people kept putting it out. It kept catching on fire. They had to dig a trench around the car, a massive hole. That is 4,500 gallons of water. I don't know wow. what that is in liters, like 11 or, or 12,000 liters of water just to keep the car because the battery's in the floor of the car. So they had to dig a hole around it and flood it to completely submerge the batteries in water because they kept reigniting. That thing burned for a day before they could get it to go out. And if that happens in your garage, it's lights out and faster than you can react. Even a normal house fire, you got like two minutes to get out of your house. It's not like the movies where you grab the teddy bear. Grab the puppies. <laughs> by then you're choked out by smoke and you're done, right? Like it's, it's not something you want happening anywhere, let alone with a vehicle that's supposed to have, you know, nature in mind and be this really advanced technological. It's not. It is. Yeah, Even cell phone, Marquise, you were saying earlier, don't leave your phone plugged in. Uh, this is before that, the yeah. show. You're like, don't leave it yeah. plugged in overnight. It can cause the the batteries to bubble. And anybody that's had a, a rare cell phone battery fire, usually that's been the case of it, right? It's been plugged in for too long.
Yeah. So. Well, they they leave, they leave it charging overnight, so it overcharges, and that, that it screws up the battery. So it's it's really bad. As a matter of fact, most people, I, I, every single person that's ever come in, well, I used to sell cell phones, but every person that ever came in with a swell battery, I always ask them the same thing: Have you been charging your phone overnight? <laughs> like, what does that matter? Because that's why your phone's like this. But sometimes yeah. Samsung phones were actually older. Samsung phones actually were just swelling. They were swelling over time, even when they weren't even being used. Um, not all of them, but there was. They were unfortunately there were quite a bit, quite a bit of them were swelling. We're talking from like S7 and before, but yeah. they don't do that anymore. They don't do that. Anymore, and so. and I mean Tesla. We don't want to pick on Tesla. General Motors had an issue with the Chevy Volt where they have multiple cells. So it's supposed to charge one cell to a hundred yep. and then go to the next cell yep, and yep. go to the next cell. Well, there's yep. computer chips in these batteries that tell the mainframe that, Hey, this cell's good switch over to the next. So the issue wasn't with the battery. It was with the module in the battery, but it was effectively not switching from the first cell to the next. So now you have a device that's charging 10% of a battery and then getting stuck in that mode and the heat would increase and it was causing fires. People were, their cars were catching fire in their garage. And so the initial fix for that problem was put out a recall and reprogram everybody's cars not to charge more than 85%. Well, these vehicles don't have a thousand mile range already, okay? They're pretty limited, 150, 200 miles max. And that's if you buy all the best gear. A lot of people needed 100% range out of their car. So now this thing's only getting 85% charged. Therefore your range is only 85%. You know, people are charging more often. It was a huge inconvenience and it put a backlog in the system. So not only did it take upwards of a year to fix your car, you got to drive around at reduced capacity for a year. There's no money coming back your way. You paid for a 200 mile range. You didn't get it. Oh, well. But it also pushed back all the orders on new vehicles because GM goes, well, if we just keep building new bolts and somebody's neighbor gets a new one, meanwhile, mine's under recall. I'm going to have something to say to GM about this. So until they fixed everybody, they, they couldn't even supply. And then people were getting upset. They were waiting two years for electric cars. Rebate programs were getting changed. So you used to have $8,000 discount. Yeah. Now it's like 2,500 bucks and some cars don't even qualify anymore. It just caused a tidal wave of problems. And, you know, effectively the aim of the game is to get rid of pollution out of the air. None of yeah. this so far has done any of that. Maybe you're right long-term, maybe electric will have. But again, at five to one, it better, five to one pollution versus coal with lithium mining. Well, you can't, it you can't argue with five that. Five times yeah. the impact, yeah. five times as fast, yeah. or we're not going for ahead. We're still going Actually, back. Yeah, you, know? you need to have more than that because you have to compensate for the for the acceleration right. of the pollution that you've caused. Plus so unless you have to- getting, you know, if five times you would need that just to break even. So you need six times longer life, which yeah. you're not giving. Yeah. Six times no. reduction in mining the products yeah. to make them, which we're not getting. Six no. times, you know, longevity, resale value, like everything would have to be increased or benefited by a fold of at least six to make it worth doing. Right now, it is worse by a factor of five. It's not going to be the way. No. Not as it currently is. Not unless no, we doesn't... change something. I think biofuels is the way to go, man. You could change every I single right. internal yeah. combustion yeah. engine yeah. on the planet in like a month's time. Sure, there'd be backlog initially but it could be done. It would have to be done once. And there's literally a bunch of sources for biofuel, as we've showed everything mm -hmm. from garbage to, you know, use French fry oil. You could use algae to create it. You can create new sugars in a lab that then ferment, produce alcohol, which is ethanol. That's effectively the end product as well. So it's not like just lithium and there's way more oil and gas in the world 
uh, or oil, I should say, that can be produced into gas, but way more oil than lithium. Lithium will run out way faster than we will run out of oil, even with our current consumption rates. So I don't think the standard lithium, cobalt, nickel battery we have now, it will not give us the range we need, the price reduction we need, the renewability we need. It's not going to happen. I mean, look how well it's going so far. We're doing real good. Oh, man. We're killing it. You Dang. know? That's so, bad, man. That's bad. I, that's I how always I got think... electric cars. Don't buy into the myth. If you think you're saving the planet, you're not. If you think you're saving money, you're not. The average person trades vehicles. I think the average trade cycle is like 42 months in Canada. Yeah. And that's actually less than it was, only because of the pandemic and rising cost of things, people have transacted less. But the idea that you're going to have to own this car for 10 years before you see a savings, you want a 10-year-old car with a failing nav screen and nobody who can fix it? Like, that's no. a myth too. These things don't, yeah. there is built-in obsolescence in everything. Cell phones, cars, computers, all this tech has it. it I think we'd be naive to think that this is going to be great. You'll only need one car the rest of your life and it won't produce anything. Not the way we're currently going about it. Yeah, no, the only thing that last thing I want to say is I, I always wonder if it has to be this way or if it's designed to be this way. Personally, it seems like it's all designed to be count again backwards. Um, yeah, I think that we've I, if you have a chance, everybody look at the documentary who killed the electric car. Um, there was a better way to do what we're doing today. We're just not doing it. We're doing something completely strange um, with in Louis, you laid out perfectly the problem that the, the problems that we have today. But that's not how it has to be. Right. That somehow and for some reason is just the way that it is. I think you should be asking yourselves why. It's marketing. The Tesla will market itself as having vegan leather. That means it's vinyl. Okay. Are you going to eat it? I mean, it's eating it anyway. How friendly. <laughs> but so there, yeah. you, even the terms of like their, their color codes for their cars. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll exaggerate, but it's like save the planet green. You know, like that's not an actual color of yeah. a Tesla, but they're coming at you with this. Save the planet green. <laughs> this image of yeah. this is good this is safe this is sustainable this is renewable no animals were hurt in the making of this commercial and on the other end of the planet they're producing five times as much pollution as coal mining which we know is horrible even the guys who dug the coal out of the ground yeah. had health problems now we burn it and put it in the air so we can all share in the same and this is producing 15 times more and a lot of these lithium mines are in countries that are not as advanced as we are. So there's right. no regulations on yeah. pollution. And they're yeah. not using environmentally friendly equipment to dig this nope. stuff up. They're using cheap and dirty coal. So they're mining coal, using coal to mine lithium to produce more gas, more yeah. CO2 gas that we're supposedly saving the planet on the flip side. And then you're going to have this 3,000 pound paperweight that you can't do anything with. I don't know. And it's a limited resource in the first place. It's not the answer. I, I feel like Elon Musk probably has, you know, a, a warehouse of robot dog riding monkeys with Neuralink <laughs> ready to go mine that cobalt for us so that we don't have to worry about that. I'm, Either way, I'm even if you mine it at zero, zero carbon or if you were carbon neutral at mining it, it's still not a last forever kind of thing. It is not an infinite resource. It's not wind or water powering a wheel. Right. It doesn't yeah. have that kind of longevity. At some point, we will run or, out. Or of sustainability. Yeah, the sustainability is not there. Yeah. It's not there. And if we're going to do the work, let's do the work right. Let's not just go half measures. I mean, I think the whole world of hybrid cars, it's better than full electric because of the range. 
And now you have a car that fundamentally runs on electric motors. So all the wheels are powered by electricity, but you're only burning enough gas to run the electric generator. The car runs on the electricity. Right. And that's where you spend most of your fuel is from a dead stop to get a 5,000 pound truck moving. That's what burns the most gas. You, you burn way more gas in stop and go traffic than you do on the highway. And a lot of vehicles have used things like engine displacement, where they'll take eight cylinders down to four. Some four cylinders go down to two on the highway because you only need very little horsepower to maintain your speed. And then if you go to pass somebody or accelerate, it'll kick back in seamlessly. You don't even know. So, but again, it feels very reactive. It's just like, okay, that's kind of good. That's just like having really good pain killing cream for the cuts you keep giving yourself. Like you just don't feel it as much, but you're not really yeah. solving the problem. Right. So if we're going to do this, it needs to be something that we don't have another energy crisis or pollution issues in a hundred years time, you know? So, but it's going to take yeah. some sacrifices, not necessarily at the consumer level, but some sacrifices with who we allow to make these decisions and what do we consider fair and reasonable profit? You know, I mean, people that yeah. you may not even be against uh, or, or, or fully for oil and gas, but if you have a stock portfolio and Exxon's making you money, you're going to turn a blind eye to that and just be like, well, everybody else is doing it. This, you know, that's how this stuff works. I think fundamentally we have to change all of that before any of these real things will start to get any weight. Yeah, and by the way, there are there are um, hydrogen fueled cars. Now, yeah. obviously, it's not like they're not not what you think. You just like fill them up with water. There's a whole there's an entire process. I didn't I don't have anything prepared for that, but there are hydrogen powered uh, fuel cells that are available today. Um, but they they're well, they're not available for you to purchase in the in the consumer market. But they're as they're they're they are functioning today. Um, they've been functioning since I think 2016. Um, and if you believe in the conspiracy about the guy who killed, who built a, a hydrogen-powered car, drove across the, across the country, and ended up with some unfortunate circumstances, it's been going on for longer than that—a couple decades. Uh, they've been able to to produce uh, to use fuel cell, uh, water fuel cells for quite some time. I don't know. Again, I don't have anything prepared for that right now. But I know that if you just look it up, you guys can definitely see that for yourself. There are plenty. There are better ways besides electric vehicles um, today. We just we don't have the infrastructure, first of all, for a lot of this stuff. Um, we don't have the 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 drive and desire to for these alternative energy sources or these in this case, these alter, alternative fuel sources for vehicles. And we've got a culture um, and, and especially in America. The culture is like is is about consumption. You mentioned marketing. It's all about consumption. Um, so I think we should you should uh, care about yourself, care about your future and Really think about the fact that technology is meant to help us. It's not meant to hurt us. I don't think we should resist these technologies. I don't think we should be afraid of them. Um, I think we should put them in their place. We should use them um, as it benefits all of humanity. And we should embrace them, ultimately. Embrace them, you know, yeah. and, and, and instead of, uh, you know, rejecting them. It comes down to money, too, because now you're basically asking a government that's making money off of the oil and gas sector to halt to all eliminate the monetary system. Louis, Louis, my, my position, get rid of the monetary system. That's Find a whole a other episode. <laughs> Effectively, you're saying, hey, stop taking any of the royalties that you need from that money and go and invest billions into changing so that you'll never need to use it again. Therefore, turning off that cash cow forever and now go pay to upgrade your infrastructure because private business can't afford to do it. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the company I work for, if they weren't well capitalized and if it wasn't part of their dealer agreement, like do it or we're going to take your franchise away, they wouldn't have spent the money either. So until it is an incentive or a rebate, well, rebate just means the government's paying for it. 
So until the government agrees that we're going to pay for this to encourage you to do it, but essentially they're slapping their face twice because by them paying for that, not only are they not getting the revenue, but they are kind of getting out of an industry that made them where they are and paid their way into office. What's the incentive? What's the incentive? You met, you said it's exactly it's the incentive is the problem. Um, Some people say, and again, a whole nother episode, but some people say that, that, Without what, what, what will people do if they don't have the incentive of you either do this or you die? Well, I mean, I think we can provide better incentives than do this or die. That sounds yeah. more like a hostage situation than an incentive. Um, yeah. Yes, there is an incentive to not die. But I don't think that should be the motive, the primary motivation for you to want to do something like contribute to society. <laughs> I don't think that should be. The and this needs to happen at a global level. It doesn't matter how good North America yeah, has carbon emissions. If countries are putting straight pollution in the ocean, dumping plastics, you know, a lot of uh, recycled waste from Canada is actually getting shipped to Asia right now. It's the cheapest solution for us to deal with it. And they recycle it. But most of it, like I said, gets thrown out because people, A, throw trash in with the recycling. Nobody, you're not going to, you can't afford to pay somebody to sift it for what you Mm -hmm. get by selling it per ton. So they're going through, let's say the Philippines is buying container loads of recyclables from Canada they're going through and making what they can with what they can. The rest is getting dumped in the ocean. That's why there's a massive plastics problem in the ocean. It's not just like our, you know, people throwing them off of boats and cruise ships. How do you think there's hundreds of tons, metric tons of waste? It's because yeah. it is literally getting dumped in the ocean. So it doesn't matter how good the Western world gets. If other continents don't participate, uh, it's all going to be for nothing. It won't make a difference because they have yeah. population and if a billion people are polluting, doesn't matter how good 300 million are doing, you're outnumbered three to one. It's just going to yeah. keep getting worse. There's a, there's a an, uh, man, I, we can go on and on forever with this, this kind of conversation, but because it's, it's philosophical, it's ideological, but there was this, there's this, uh, this like, I don't know, boat or whatever that could, that could pull all those plastics and, and toxins out of the water, out of the ocean. Um, and it used alternative energy sources, some kind of wind energy to, and wave energy too, to keep going continuously forever. It could just keep, you know, cleaning up the ocean, like combing the ocean surface of all these different plastics and, and garbage and trash. I still don't think it's going to be enough. I mean, even with, if we don't focus on all the technology we mentioned today, you know, the biodegradables, the, the genetically engineered, um, things that could biodegrade things naturally, if we don't focus on all these alternative energies, and again, as you mentioned, globally, well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been nice knowing you. Hopefully, our <laughs> kids don't have to live through the worst of it. I, I mean, alone that is, because you know, you yeah. you may make it through the through through this crap, but the next generation or the following one might not. Who knows? Or maybe there'll be worse consequences of people living on this planet. Um, and don't resist, guys. Just come on. Don't resist cool stuff. Don't you want to fly around like the Jetsons? Come on, <laughs> we're this close. We're this close. You can, there's going to be, a, I just saw an article that said there's going to, they're hosting a, a race, a, a flying race car, or I'm sorry, a flying, uh, a flying car uh, race, race, uh, or whatever. It's, I can't remember where it was, but I'll have to, we'll have to look at that and pull it up some other time. But they're literally going to be doing, doing, a, allegedly doing a race where they're using flying cars. And they're, they're there. Let me actually, you know what? Forget it. Let's look it up. I got to see this for you guys. Let's see here. The first, the air speeder, the flying car, electric car. There's a race. I know there are a few flying cars that have been given the green light to do some trials. My issue is people can barely drive on the ground. Yeah. How, how are they going to all fly around without, you know, a fender bender is now a 10,000 foot drop. 
my, my concerns are great with flying cars. <laughs> oh, have you man, seen people I, park? I, have you seen some people's parking jobs? I've seen their park jobs for sure. I mean, I think with with you know with um technology. I mean, most planes fly themselves for the most part. They landing and takeoff is usually the pilot's job. Maybe they can help automate some of those processes in the future where, you know, you're not relying so much on human, um, human, uh, I guess, I don't know, um, uh, mental acuity. We're, we're, we're focusing more on the tech being able to help us because that's especially when you're going the, when you're flying, you can go at faster speeds than, than you are on the ground. There's no resistance, obviously, aside from from aerodynamics, but um, you're not having to worry about the friction of 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 like of the ground. And all those kinds of mechanisms, you're you're just you're literally just flying through the air. Um, it's a lot. There's a lot less resistance. That's dangerous. Yeah, that's really. I think that's really dangerous. But they're gonna do it anyway. So, you know, there are. You can buy a flying car right now, by the way. So, good luck, everybody. But I couldn't find that that, that freaking that race. Is, I'm gonna find that race. There's a kit that you can uh, build one yourself. There's actually helicopters you yeah. can build yourself too. Although we yeah. don't recommend anybody do that. Do not build your own helicopter. <laughs> yeah, so. probably don't do that. Probably don't do that. So, uh, we're going to, uh, if you guys want to see the rest of this episode, check out our um, Quantum Club. The link is in the description. We do record another episode at the end of every public episode we do here. And we can be a little more uh, candid, unfiltered. It doesn't go on YouTube, so we can tell you how we actually feel. <laughs> but uh, we're pretty good at not holding anything back, telling you uh, what's up, um, you know, sparing you a lot of the, the junk that's out there. There's a lot of stuff. Again, we do the research on these topics. It's hard to find good material a lot of these big corporations don't want this stuff to be easy to find either. And the yeah. ones that have it, it's proprietary. They don't want to get beat by their competitor either. So mm. in the phase of initial developments of anything, it's hard to find out what's real, what's myth. And, you know, to cut through the data of, is this just what this company says it'll do? Or like, what is private testing actually show? And, uh, but there is a lot of positive, yeah. a lot of positive yeah. stuff we can glean from that. So, so thank you everybody in the world of YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcast, and the Unex Network. Uh, these episodes release every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And you can check us out every Sunday at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. And that's on the Unex Network YouTube channel. So love hearing from you. Give us your comments and feedback. If you like this episode, give us a thumbs up. And if you haven't subscribed to our channel, please do that. And uh, with, uh, with that, we'll bring today's episode to a close. On behalf of my good friend, Marquise Williams, and myself, Louis Gorgeous, thank you for joining us. We do appreciate your time. We hope you learned something, had a bit of fun, and we'll see you next week with the next episode of Quantum Water Park.